I'm over here trying to think of what podcast number it is. 40 Trace? 44. 44. That's right. 44. We're talking expensive paper. Yo, comic fam, thanks so much for joining us today. Podcast 44, the Bags and Boards podcast, the best comic book podcast in the world. And you know, we got the golden age guru here, my brother. I've been so excited for you to come back to the show, for you to chat with us. You just went on a trip. You went on a very important trip. You went and saw and experienced the Promise Collection. I did, man. I did. It was pretty exciting. Um, There was a lot of energy built up because um, it's this massive collection, right? It's brand new to the market. It's supposed to be like this, you know, kind of an example of the Edgar Church on a little bit of a smaller scale for this generation, for us. You know, I didn't get to experience the church collection. So this was a big deal. And I was going down there with a friend of mine, and I expected, I had my expectations. Sure. I had it all in my head of what it's going to be like to be there. I'm going down to Heritage to see this collection. Walk us through a little bit for those who haven't followed the Promise Collection story, our coverage on it briefly. Because this was a moment we had so many dealers, collectors, not just watch this from home on the screen. We got Butch in the house. What's up, Comic Butch? We also had dealers that got together to go experience it in person, in auction. This is nuts. Yeah, so just really quick. The Promise Collection was a new collection that was recently discovered due to the passing of uh, a gentleman. So it's now come to market. Now, the story goes that um, there were two brothers who both went to the Korean War. One came back. The other kept a promise to take care of that collection for him. So that is why it's called The Promise. This brother has kept this collection in absolute pristine condition for 70 years. Wow. Like, I can't get my kids to keep a promise for an hour or two. This guy kept a promise for 70 years to his brother, you know, to take care of it. And that's how much this guy loved his comics, and his brother understood that. Protect my funny books. That's the quote. So it's a very sentimental uh, collection if you really think about the history and the story behind it. And a pedigree is an assigned... Um, let's say, status level for a collection. And this would be the 61st pedigree that CDC has ever given to a collection. And this is probably one of the better stories of those. And they all have a story. And we can get into that some other time. We've talked about getting into deeper, into pedigree stories. There's a lot of other ones, man. There's a lot of cool ones. CGC puts them in a special... Uh, labeled slab now looks great but it signifies that this is a comic book not just in a particular grade but from a particular collection that makes it a bit more prestigious absolutely so they were displaying these books not even displaying these the first batch of books because there's 5,000 about total all right and allegedly 75 percent of them are going to come back as the highest graded of any copy which is an absolute feat you know, to, to match in comics because, I mean, there's been a lot of great collections that have come out. So 272 were for sale, and this was the, this was the unveiling. I mean, this has been building up. The excitement in the community was pretty large. Heritage has been, like, teasing the pictures of what they've been getting in from CGC because CGC got them, graded them, sent them off to Heritage to get ready for this auction. Comic fam, hit the like, hit the subscribe button because this gentleman here, Overstreet Price Guide Advisor, Golden Age Specialist, you went down there and experienced this. First hand. Yeah, I took, a buddy of mine went down to Texas, okay? We flew down. 
All right. And um, I was like, all right, I'm here. What was it like flying with your buddy? Like, did you guys just talk about this nonstop? So he was smart enough to book a ticket way before I did. Okay. So he got this first class ticket for super cheap. All right. And then I like took forever to book mine. And I booked mine like a week or two prior. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm paying the same price for coach. dude. (laughs) So he was sitting up front there and I was sitting in in wherever I, I was sitting. But we arrived. And the second I get off this plane and he's super psyched. He gets these bombardment and emails that his company just got hacked. Okay, so he literally disappeared. Like, I did not see him for like 36 hours. He missed the entire first day. Oh, no. Yes. He missed the entire first day of the auction, came back the second day. He got stuff handled, and he was just like, all right, I'm making up for that. <laughs> so now he's going in there. He's ready, man. Now money's burning a hole in his pocket. He's like, I missed one day. I flew all the way down here. I've been thinking about this weekend for a long time, and he missed the the unveiling of all the books. He missed the tour of heritage that I had. He missed all that. So, okay. So walk me through that. I got to hear that. You guys, you toured, you toured heritage? Yeah, so we, we, I'm in Texas now. Okay, they're in Texas. All right, and they're in Dallas. And I'm staying in a hotel. I, I go down there the the next day. Yeah, I, th- I get in there the night before to get like a good rest. I don't even remember when the heck I got there. I got there, got some rest, went to Heritage. You like get in there a little early so you can get some rest. I mean, this guy's like, oh, the con's on Thursday. I'm going to go there on Monday, you know. I want to fill out on Tuesday, get ready mentally on Wednesday so I can hit the show floor at like, what, 4 a.m. if you can. <laughs> You don't understand, like, I've built this thing up in my head to be this thing, okay? So I'm like, I have this image in my head, so I'm like pumped, I'm excited. I go down to Heritage, I take an Uber there, okay? I don't need a rental car, just take an Uber there. And I pull up to this building, and I tell the Uber drivers, like, I'm not really sure what side the entrance is on. It's this big, huge commercial uh, parking lot with, like, this big structure. So I'm like, okay, I don't know what unit they are in this building. And I pull up. And we get to the entrance, and it's the entire freaking building. This thing is huge. This building's huge. And I have pictures of it, and you'll see them wherever the heck they are on the screen. Sure. Okay, and it says Heritage Auction. And I didn't expect that. I was like, whoa, this is no joke. All right, this is a major. So the building itself was giant. The, the building itself was enormous. I mean, it was an enormous building, okay? So I get in there, and it's a beautiful lobby, and they have, like, these all-glass walls where you can – you can go there and meet with your, um, with people who are going to uh, appraise your collection or give you an idea. Very special rooms. I mean, it's, it's really nice. It's no joke. They need to have like a TV show, Antiques Roadshow type of thing going on there. It's it's next level. It's not just a comic book auction house. You know, they they sell um, furniture and paintings and coins. I mean, they're a very very big company, and you don't really get that until you get there, and you're like, this is. Cr- when I get in there, I'll explain some more. It, it feels like a museum, okay, historical space, because you just have all these items around you that are ancient or, you know, just collectible or antiques. It's just, it's nuts. So anyways, I talk to the ladies up front. They're like, hi. The person comes up to meet me, Rick Akers. Shout out to Rick Akers out there for Heritage Auctions. We talked about him too. You know, yeah, he's the man, man. If you guys have anything you want to consign with Heritage, give Rick Akers a call. Okay, he's the consignment director there. So it's a big deal. He was the one I was dealing with and he knows his stuff pretty well. And I would definitely recommend chatting with Rick over there. Anyways, he walks me through. There's like two sets of security, two sets of security. Like you gotta scan one door and then you gotta scan the other door, and then you get into this space. You walk in there, and it's a big show floor, 
And apparently, if you work there, it's like a whole new show floor like every two, three weeks. So you're literally seeing a brand new environment if you work there of just antiquities. Just like fresh setup. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so it's crazy. You'll see like ancient furniture and paintings all over the place and Fabergé eggs and Civil War guns and who the heck knows? Anything you can imagine. It's one of the biggest auction houses in the world. Yes, and then to have it constantly rotate would just be kind of fun to see. So it just completely transform, and the walls are movable, so the spaces will shift. Anyways, so I thought that was fascinating. And then I get there, and there's this entire space of, like, coin graders, okay, who are just working at it and just doing coins. And you walk through the whole building, and they have an entire huge printing room. They put out so much print publications They've created their own printing center. So they have all printing equipment they need. They have professional printers in there. Yeah, because like a new setup every couple weeks, every few weeks, you know, that sounds like a headache having to go through like a custom printing place. So they just do it themselves. All the promotional paperwork themselves. Wow. All Exactly. I was like, what? Do you have a whole print center? Then they have a whole another wing of like, and like I said, antique furnitures and all these doors and sections that are closed off that I don't need to be in. But, you know, they tell you what this room is. Wow. And you're just in this building, like I said, it's enormous. So they just have everything there. And so eventually I get to what's more of my interest and our interest, comic stuff. Okay. I'm going to pause you right there for a quick second. This is a podcast. We're talking about the Promise Collection. This is so dope. I'm so excited to talk about what you experienced in your trip. But no worries, comic fam. The guru bought some comics from this auction. We're going to be getting into that as well. We also are talking about grading comics, this podcast, like just why we do it, how we do it, tips and tricks and, and fails. Like we're going to be getting into that. We talked to the community as well and got a lot of great responses from members who had some really good insight um, in addition to what we're going to provide here today. Um, we have some stuff to show off, you know, we got some stuff in the mail, Guru brought some graded slabs. I want to remind the community, we are also available on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and iTunes. We like to go long on the podcast, but that way you get the most amount of quality comic book content. Because where are you getting this kind of content anywhere? Please continue, Jeff. So, like we are discussing the size of this building and getting to finally to the part that interests The us. comic collection area. I get into this room, all right, and... You gotta imagine they're housing this entire collection here. They're housing every other comic that's coming in the future. Artwork, original artwork all over the place. Okay. Like first generation, literally a uh, uh, a steel rack, okay, of first generation Pokemon, magic cards. I mean, you just name it, it's all just right there. Wow. Okay. Now, is this just for, like, upcoming auctions, or do they have some stuff kind of like I know Diamond does? Like, they have, like, a museum area where they just have stuff that they've acquired themselves? It's just stuff on consignment. Okay. Okay, so they're they're there for sale. And so, I mean, you're literally looking at, like, a million-dollar rack of, of trading cards alone. And then uh, all these people who work there grading raw comics, they're sitting, they're all working. You know, they're checking the artwork. They're checking the animation cells, which is apparently a pretty big thing now. Sure. The original artwork. I mean, I, I took a picture with, I think, the most expensive piece of art that sold at that convention. That uh, Crime Suspense Stories number six cover. Again, here's a photo of it. Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Very controversial cover, but, like, as classic as it gets, I think it sold for, like, 830000 bucks. The prices that we're about to get into, Comic Fam, are insane. But... 800,000. 
that's definitely one of the higher ones. But there are some other crazy like mortgage size comic sales that we're going to be getting into in this podcast. For sure. And so then eventually I have to make my way to the auction room. Okay. So this is a multiple day auction. But day one was not the Promise Collection. Okay. It was just other books that were there. And which was cool. It was fun to watch. I think it was day one. I don't know. One of those two. But it was cool to see books in life being auctioned. And I expect, remember what I told you, I had my expectations of what, what I was going to expect there. I get there, I am the only one in that room. No way. Only person at the live auction live. Why? Everyone else is phone bidding. No Everybody kidding. is phone bidding or on the internet bidding. I expected... A room full of people, like those auto shows. You know when you see those auto shows? Yeah, just like a room. They're putting their their like uh, little signs up. Yeah. You know, nodding their head to the guy. You know, doing the. No, no, clearly. It's a skill. It is a skill. I mean, I had a paddle. Okay, you had a paddle. I did. I had a paddle. Do you keep the paddle? I did. I got. I keep the paddle. Oh, I want to see the paddle. I was like, listen, I spent enough. I kept the paddle. Okay, I should have brought it. I completely forgot. That's the only thing the guru got. Yeah, uh, we got me. Uh, I got two paddles. Okay, one for myself and then one for my buddy. And he had the X Men one. I kept the Cap one paddle. I was like, I'm taking the Cap one paddle. Dude. Oh, they had like uh, stuff on <laughs> yes, them. Yes, they had like an emblem <laughs> on them. I'll show it to you, man. Well, they have a printing press there, so they're making it custom. I like exactly. that. Exactly. I was like, listen, I spent enough, man. I'm that makes you. Home. I mean, it's kind of like the CGC pen. You know, when you get a box of comics back from CGC, mm-hmm. they put a little sticker in there yep. and they put a CGC pen. Whenever I'm at a show, you know, you got your free CGC pens there. As I'm doing my stuff and I'm getting my comics graded. Same with CBCS because they also have a pen. I always grab the pen. I feel like I'm getting something out of it, yeah. even if it's just a cheap pen. I have <laughs> so many something. CGC pens, dude. <laughs> yeah. That's all that's in my house. The red, red pen, right? It's a <laughs> yeah, red it's pen. a red pen. Oh, yeah. Comic fam, you have any CGC pens? Let us know in the comment section below. So let me tell you how it went because two days kind of meshed together. All right. So basically, my friend and I are there now. All right. He showed up the next day. All right. So I'm just going to go over the the convention as a whole the environment or not the convention the auction as a whole was there anybody else there like for the live auction no dude you were the only me person and there him were the only two people me day one was by myself okay and wow. it was still exciting interesting to see how it works what okay and because most of that first day was artwork sure all right and then comics too it was just like really high-end comics there was an action one there was a detective 27 okay the action one i think was restored but tech 27 was like a 5-0 so it was still lot of cool books and artwork to get into but you could see watching the phone lines when the artwork was going was insane because there's probably eight people monitoring phones okay when the comics are going it wasn't as busy but when it came down to the artwork it was just phones 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 so it's just interesting to see how people are buying books, you know, and I, and I ask questions about that. Like, what's what's going on? Why is, first off, is why is nobody here? Okay, it's like, yeah, well, most people just either came at some point and looked at them or they just rather just do it from their home on the internet. Well, seeing so much call. like activity online, there were so many people saying they wanted to go. I assumed that there would be a, a lot of people. Like, it really looked like there was gonna be a lot of people there. Yeah, and they present it live like it's, a thing in front of an audience and, sure. and theoretically they have room for it. I'm not saying it's a large room, but you could probably fit 50 people, maybe, a little, maybe 60, 
But you know, we had free lunch there. I just hung out. I got what to they experience feed you? it. What was lunch at Heritage? Oh, I got to enjoy like I don't know. They asked me. They asked me a week in advance or two. What Is it like a like? wedding? Do you want steak or fish? Yeah. What would you like for your meal? Here's the sandwiches that we have that we can order in for. And so that's where we had sandwiches and. I was like, okay, great. And I um, went to a dealer uh, retailer summit one time and they had a bunch of food out for all the retailers. You know, that's where you get like the, the cool comic books and the swag and industry insight. And I went to the back of the room because I was like one of the last people in there because I couldn't find it. It was at, like San Diego Comic-Con and they had a bunch of different sandwiches. They had turkey, they had ham and they had like a veggie one. And I'm like, ooh, I'm feeling some turkey today. And I'm going over there. I get my turkey. I look to my left and you know who else wanted turkey that day? Scott Snyder. He was sit- standing right there and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm going to eat turkey sandwich near Scott Snyder. Great memory. Dude, you guys were turkey twins that Turkey time, twins, brother. That's awesome, dude. <laughs> okay, so you're, so you're there. You got your lunch. You're getting ready. They're trying to feed you so that you know, you're, you're excited and as well as ready for that momentum to just shoot you in the direction of throwing money down. I didn't bid on anything that day. What do you think they thought? Like, you're the only person there. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, they probably, I don't know. I mean, it was good to see people. And just again, I'm there to experience heritage and what it's like. And They're just like, kind what's of this a guy doing understanding, here? There's just one dude here. Yeah, him, right. Go get him a sandwich. We got in the, in the refrigerator yeah. right there. We're usually sleeping off camera on these chairs. I mean, what do you? <laughs> They're probably like, oh man, we typically like to come in in our pajamas on this day because we're not on camera. But someone's here, so everybody get your nice clothes on or something. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> you ruined it for all the employees, <laughs> I, Jeff. I'm sorry, guys. My bad. I did not know. Rick Eggers, it's your fault. Just kidding, dude. Uh, so anyways, it was a great time um, to see day one, okay? Because I got to see great artwork go. I got to see some awesome books sell. There's still a lot of energy in the room. It's still excitement because I was like, okay, well, I'm the only one here. I'm going to make the best of it. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to take it in. The next day is the Promise Collection. So whatever. Day one's over. And next is day two. So I get to Heritage again for day two. Again, day two. This is the Promise Collection day. This is it. The big day. It is going to be brought to market for the very first time. Here we go. And the only people there again is just me and my buddy who finally made it. Can't believe you guys are the only, only ones there. two people. Wow. Right? You would think. Am I wrong to assume? I'm not wrong to assume. There's I don't think so, people, man. Right? You no, would think. People alluded that they were going to go. Yeah. I, I would think you would want to go. All right? Considering that. It's so special to see something like this come to market. Historical moment, man. You'll be always able to say that you were there in person. You got to touch the comics, man. Not only that, actually, I forgot to say the after after the first day, I can't again, it all comes together. They literally took me into a room. No, this was after day one. They took me into a room, private room. They brought over the entire collection on a metal rack. I got to flip through the entire 272 books. Whoa. I went live with it. I went live on my IG with it. I didn't realize you got to see all of them. All of them. Flip through them. I let everybody see the books. Okay. Follow Golden Age Guru on IG. I'm sure he saved it. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure I saved it. I don't know why I wouldn't have. Yeah, people He will if he hasn't yet, but Golden Age Guru on IG. Hey, and congratulations. You hit 10K. Yes. After our last podcast, the comic fam came in. And they brought the heat and followed you on Instagram. We do live claim sales over there, so you should do that as well. Yeah, big shout out. Thank you, guys. And um, But it was, I mean, <laughs> it was on a cart, man. <laughs> like, just to see all of it in its glory was great and present that to everybody. And then the next day was the auction. So, again, back to the next day. We're sitting there. 
Now's it. All right. And the very first book up was, I think it was an action comic, maybe. And then the second book was an all American comic, 61. Okay. Nine, six. All right. And I got to tell you, um, I love that book for Solomon Grundy. And we'll talk about more about that later. Um, so with that, I was like, all right, I'm just going to put a bid in on it. All right. And I was kind of excited and kind of really concerned that my bid was going to win. But then thank God it didn't because they got someone outbid me. That's like one of those moments on <laughs> eBay where you're like, all right, if it goes for this much, I'll be happy. I'll, it'll be okay. But as you get closer to the ending of it, you start getting worried like, oh, wait, maybe I'm going to win this. Did I actually want to pay this much money? Am I the one who's leading the bid? You start second guessing yourself. Yeah, because after it was all done. And here's the thing in person, too, you forget. When you're on, at home and computer, you can see how much the buyer's premium is going to be. Okay, because right. there's a buyer's premium that's like 19 and a half or 20%. So if you think you're paying $1,000, you're really paying, you know, 19.5% more than that. That buyer's premium will bite you in the butt, just like this cat will if you're not giving him enough attention. Butch is on something today, comic fam. You're getting the cat, you know, the comic gato. Yeah, so um, you don't see that in person, and that gets you at the end. You're like, oh, that's, that's a pretty good deal. And then you're like, all right, winner, we're at this price. You're like, oh, that's right. And a couple times, you know, with my wins, I, I hit me. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, maybe it's a little bit more now. <laughs> so remember in person, okay, it, it's a little misleading at first. So you got you to gotta teach your brain that because you're, you're getting an going, excitement. Where's the, what's the calculation again? <laughs> yes. And you're bidding as people online. So they're just, they're announcing your paddle number as they're going. Okay. Butch, I'm going to move you, dude. <laughs> So it's a little misleading, like I said, with with watching it because you don't really know what the final hammer price is, and it's happening so fast that you know you just you get caught up with like just trying to get that bid up that's showing up on the screen in front sure. of you because there's a screen and a monitor that you're looking at. So I almost won this, and I would have paid a lot of money, and it would have been like, okay, I'm done. On the very second book of this entire auction, I'm done. <laughs> would you have just gone home? <laughs> I would have witnessed it and stayed, but I would have been like, okay, I'm long gone. But another, oh, one more thing, too, that makes it so enticing, and they really suck you in, is you have a 12-month payment plan on this. Oh, so now you have this added layer of, all right, I don't have to have all the money right now. I can pay it off over time. But then that kind of adds to that FOMO because you start thinking, man, you know, I can spread it out and it won't be as big of a hit. But you're still spending the same amount of money, though. Yeah. And maybe a little bit more if you're financing that. Oh, true. Too. Yeah. So, probably add some interest to that. Right. So um, but it does make it more palatable to jump into some of these books because really you don't get that length of time with the other books. It's only with these promise books. Oh, okay. So it's more like three months or so for the other apparently for the other books. All right, I didn't win that book, thank God, but didn't want... We're going to talk about what that book went for, so stay yeah, tuned, yeah. Comic Fan. We'll talk about that later. And the auction continues, okay? And you're just looking at some of these books, and I had a plan. It's like, these are the books I'm going to go for, and these, most of the ones I'm not going to. And um, some of that plan got thrown out the window, okay? Happens. Some, some of that plan, I stuck, I stuck to it, all right? Okay. I think there was two buys I did not expect to go for. Okay, just save those buys because I, I want to, um, we're going to talk about those in a little bit. Okay, what I will say about the Promise Collection is just the dollar amounts that they were hitting. I mean, it was a little insane watching these books. And a lot of Flash comics went for sale too. 
And I'm watching like nine, six, nine, eight flash comics, like nine eights going for $30,000 plus. I mean, I was shocked to see the numbers these books reached. Okay, so seeing flash comics in nine eights, I mean, I get it's a nine eight, but paying 30 plus thousand dollars for flash comics and all of them selling, I mean, it was nuts. And the phones, again, they were pretty busy, but most of it was internet bidding. It was only really the artwork where the phones were crazy. So take whatever you could take from that, but it's just interesting to see a difference. There's a lot of people right now in my circles who are bigger investors who are, yes, they buy comics. Yeah, they go for variant comics. They buy next-gen heroes, and they're specking for the future. But they're moving their stuff to get their hands on original art. They're convinced that long-term, that's where the big money is. And I think you're starting to see that at these types of auctions. Yeah, I mean, I've been seeing art go for obnoxious monies for a long time now. And I don't understand the art market. I'm not going to pretend I do, okay? And I don't... It's scarce, man. Like when it comes down to it. I get it scarce. I just don't understand the dollar amounts behind it. Who these people are who are buying it. I don't know the outlets to move them. Okay. And because the market seems to be so, it feels random to me. Kind of fickle. Yeah. And the people who, and basically, basically for me, and I might ostracize myself to some of these people, but art dealers in general, I don't feel like they try to nurture the hobby much it almost feels like a pissing match between other art dealers and i'll be honest with you they seem to me to be some of the shadiest people i ever deal with in this hobby in general are the art dealers i'm not saying all of them but boy when i approach an art dealer it's it's different than approaching a dealer table i mean it's very different and i know what you're i know what your experience like what you're describing here because i've felt a level of that too it's not as welcoming on average we know really great art dealers but you've gone to a lot of conventions. You've dealt with a lot of different businesses. So I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, and it's, I wish it was different, but I really, I know a lot of people feel the same way. I've talked to many, many, many people, and it's just not inviting, and it feels a very elitist type kind of atmosphere. And I just, it's hard because who's monitoring the art market? I mean, I don't know where to go. Like, if I wanted to sell a piece of a comic, I know exactly what I could sell it for. All right? And everyone has, and a lot of people have this this comment they like to use. Um, if you love it, just buy what you love. Man, I got to tell you, that is the biggest crock of crap I've ever <laughs> freaking heard. Just buy what you love. You don't just buy a $60,000 piece, okay, like, because you love it. You know, as somebody who buys that, you know, who's extending themselves. I'm not somebody talking about somebody who's so wealthy they can just throw 60K at something. I'm talking about you're extending yourself because you're investing your money in something you like, okay? Well, guess what? At some point, that person who's extending himself is going to want to sell that piece. Where does he sell that piece? How does he know that he's going to get that value? It's publicly sold already once. There's no guarantee that he's going to get that dollar amount now that it's been shown what it just sold for two years ago. There's just, it's just... Risky. It could be risky. It's risky. And so don't like, I don't know. That comment always bugs me. Like, just buy what you like. I mean, yeah, that's great. Oh, because at least you'll like it when you lost $30,000. You know, like, no, it doesn't work that way, man. It's okay to buy what you like, but you understand that no portion is going to try to extend themselves to get something that they like. It's okay? funny because I'm going to show off some original art that I got pretty yeah. soon here. <laughs> and you didn't spend that type of money. You no, spent what not. you're comfortable with. Right, okay. Right, right. But a lot of people like expensive stuff True. and they can't get into it. Okay. And then it's just it's tough for other people to get into it because it's not monitored the way uh, graded comics are. 
and the prices are so all over the place and you just don't know where to sell them and who's going to buy them. They end up going back on the same auction sites that you got them from. Exactly. Like nine times out of 10, the recommendations are, well, we have like a handful of dealers that I know and you have a network of art dealers that you only go to or you're going to the source. You're trying to like reach out to the different teams that manage the artists. Or you go to Comic Link, you know, you go to Heritage, and that's where you see them ending up. Um, but as far as the art sales and the promised collection sales and the other comics, because this, this wasn't the only thing that was sold during this weekend, Heritage is reporting that this is like their record-breaking uh, total in like money earned for collectibles as it pertains to the comic game, right? Yeah, I mean, th- I think their total auction, okay, just the promised books, which were 272 books, was $7.1 million. Holy smokes. $7.1 million and it's just begun. Yeah, and that entire auction was over $20 million. I mean, that's a huge... That was more than they expected. And I think that was their highest grossing auction. I don't know how it pertains to other auctions. I don't know if it was just comic related. Mm-hmm. But I know they were talking about that. I mean, I think it pretty much shattered. And remember that one of their auctions that it shattered had a $5 million for Zeta piece in it alone. So, I mean, this accumulatively just crushed that auction 20 plus million. I mean, it's crazy numbers, guys. Crazy. So you're flipping through these books. You actually got to touch the graded comic books very carefully. And what did you feel like? I know you were on camera and you're entertaining at the same time, but like, I'm hoping that you took some time to realize what moment you had. You were one of the last people to experience the collection as a whole in its entirety intact since it was brought to market. Like how, what was that like? Well, that wasn't the entire collection. Well, that the, was the, just the, the 272 part. graded first part of the collection. The first part, market, yeah. you know? So yes, whoever's getting a promise book, um, I did touch it. So <laughs> just I don't know if that means anything to you. They had a plastic on it, you know. Yeah, they had plastic on it. Um, you know, I did take a second before and after, right? When I'm filming, you can't do anything, man. You're just trying to get through, answer questions, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, when you watch it on a cart, okay, let me just say this. When you see it all in a cart in boxes, you're just like, it just looks like more comics. Like another collection. Yeah. Then you get to flip through it and it's like, you know, you're like, oh wow, this these are in the boxes and it's cool. If I had them all laid out, it would have been probably a whole nother thing because you get to see the covers instead of just the tops as you're going through it. What were the comics like? They were beautiful. Seeing them in person, (laughs) what were the colors like? I mean, the color strikes were very nice on all the books. It was great colors, great page quality. Most of the books were white or off-white white, white, so the paper quality is awesome. Um, I felt like, you know, we're not going to get too much into the grading of what someone had a 9.8 or 9.6 and kind sure. of where we fell with them. Cause there, there is a lot of like underground conversations, but again, you could say the same thing about church books. Some people felt the church books were overgraded too. So uh, let's not get too far down that rabbit hole, but overall it's a beautiful collection, beautiful story. Love the new label. Cause they used to have like the black and white tuxedo label. Now they got black with the gold tint sheen feel to it, which just looks super secret agent 007 you know, spy-worthy label. And you, you were chilling with your homie. What did he feel like? Because this wasn't just your experience, too. Like, he was there over this week, and did he have as good of a time as you, minus the craziness that was happening at home? Yeah, I mean, he went on a tear. He probably bought six to eight books. Oh, wow. Promise books. Holy smokes. Yeah, I bought two promise, two non-book, non-promise books. 
I was happy with my mine for the most part. Um, two of them I bought on a whim, thinking that you know one of them I'm really happy with, the other one I'm going to just resell. <laughs> <laughs> Comic fam, what do you think about this? We have uh, someone who visited the Promise Collection. You were there, man. Like you were there. That's gonna like long term, dude. You'll never forget that experience. Um, most people only experienced it through the screen. You got to see these books in hand, man. You got to hold them. You got to see that LB Cole, that black light, multiple black light covers shining like they did when they came off the press. And on top of that, I mean, seeing these record prices on these books was huge. Okay, right. obviously, super exciting. Lots of buzz. You don't know where these books are going to end. The whole room has no idea. I mean, you see them all just whispering to each other like oh my god they can't believe the numbers they they who are experts dealing with high grade books like the best of the best are shocked and excited to see the energy behind this collection obviously they're getting money out of it too but as a person who appreciates it you're still like happy for the hobby to see this type of money going into it okay and out of all those books though okay Still one of the biggest talked about stories afterwards was my favorite book, Marvel Spotlight 5. No. <laughs> <laughs> that 9-8, man. That's where that auction, that 9-8 yeah. sold for, was it like $230,000 or something? Like that was like, everybody was like, whoa. Craziness. I know. I saw that. And the first thing I said to all my friends was like, yo. Guru's going to come back and he's going to be talking about that damn Marvel Spotlight 5 again. Comic fam, we got to hear your thoughts about this. Um, it's historical. It is the, the, it's unique. There's so many other pedigrees that are out there that I'm excited to dive down that, you know, wealth of information to go through it with you to find some, maybe we can even get some back here because you're going to be getting some books. So we're going to show them on camera, but we're going to also let them know what you got here in a bit, but I got to know what the community thinks about this in the comment section. Um, we also like to bring stuff to the table, things that we get, because sometimes really we get stuff. And if I don't like touch base with you at some point in the week, by the next week, you're like, oh yeah, dude, it's already gone. Or yeah, it's in my PC. It's in the safe box. And now it's a, a ruckus to get your hands on it again. So um, this is the point of the show where we like to show things that we've gotten recently. And you got some slabs here. I see some Kang on the table. What did you bring? Oh, okay. So, all right. This is kind of going to lead into next week's too, right? Why'd you bring Kang? So I brought Kang because this is going to be a book. Obviously, it's King, Avengers 8, all right? I bought this maybe a month ago, all right, a month and a half, just because I knew something's going to happen with King. Everyone keeps talking about it. It was a 6-0. It looked like it was upgradable, all right? So I was like, all right, I get a, I get a 6-0, and I'm paying below 6-0 price, and it's upgradable to potentially 7-0. 6-5, maybe six five, I think easy. Six five, easy because there's definitely some. I'm like, so, comic fan, I'm looking at Kang the Conqueror, Jack Kirby goodness. You got Kang. This Kang is destined to rank as one of the most unique villains of all time until you learn his surprising identity. Because you know he be Ramatut. He was already introduced in Fantastic Four issue number nineteen. But this right here is the first appearance of Kang the Conqueror, Stanley Story, um, and this book has a little bit of problems, but I can tell it hasn't been pressed. And the way you can tell that is by really just seeing some signs of, you know, paper not being as flat as it would be had it been pressed, specifically uh, slight creasing, maybe rippling on the cover. I'm looking at this back page and I can actually see some pages that are 
like bent over a little bit. That's more signs of it from sitting in a bag and board. If this was pressed, it would be completely flat. Yeah, and then on top of that, you could take a look at how much surface dirt is on there. It's a lot. There is quite a bit to where it could could have affected the grade. And so you just know with that, A, the eye appeal will be far greater than what it is now in a press. I think it's an easy 6.5. There's already a crack in the slab anyway, yeah, two of them. There's a crack in the slab. So what's going on with that? It's just um, a crack in the slab. So Oh, so you're bringing this for our other show because we are going to be doing some tips and tricks of how to like crack open a book. So this is for like the next podcast. Oh, I see what you did. You yeah. tried to fish me along. I tried answer. to a little bit. All right. No, you're exactly, man. That's going to be for our next one because we're going to show you because while I was in Heritage, there's a guy out there who does a lot of cracking. All right. And I saw the way that he cracked out the the book and how he opened up the inner well that I've never seen before. So I'd love to try that out and show you guys here um, next time we get together. I love it. All right. So you're kind of getting a tease. So hit the subscribe button, Comic Fam. But this is just a book that we're going to be showing off later down the road. What else did you bring? Okay. So if we're going to talk about that too, I bought a book because I had you once. So listen, I was on Instagram God, back in 2017 or 18, and there was a collection that came out with uh, where all the books had this sticker oh on God. it. Oh, my God. Another sticker? Yeah. Th is this the same collection? Same collection. I was only oh. able to get one book out of it, but somebody else got a lot of them. All right? And then all of a sudden, this popped up. Somebody was selling that individually, and I was like, oh, my God. Tom removed this exact sticker for me in my last book, and it went up. That's right. The okay. Silver Streak. Silver Streak. Awesome. Silver Streak. I think it came out 6.5. So this is a 5.0 with that sticker again. and um, So we're I, looking at Action Comics 42. It literally says sticker attached to the front cover. I'm assuming you're going to ask me to remove the sticker. So well, depending on how that goes, we'll talk about that in the next podcast. Damn it. I mean, I can remove stickers, but dude, Golden Age books freak me out. And I end up spending way more time on it than I like to. But I will do it for you because you're my homie. And when you're chilling with your homies, you do what you got to do to help their comic books. This is uh, Action 42, Origin and First Appearance of Vigilante. And this is the first appearance of the Fat Man. That's right. And not to get confused with the Skinny Man, this is the first appearance of the Fat Man. So Vigilante, I mean, he was an early kind of Western hero. So, I mean, I don't know. Take that for what it's worth. Westerns aren't really doing much. But regardless, it's an early action. I think it's 1941. Yep, November 1941. So uh, I'd love to get that sticker off because I think it's a nice book otherwise. Describe this cover. We got Superman uh, like leaping down or possibly flying because he'd be flying at this point. Yes, yes, he should be flying at that point. So he's flying down. He's actually ricocheting a bullet off of his chest. And there's two different like mafia-esque types of individuals, one of them holding a gun. And uh, again, it's been fired, but it's coming back. If anything, it's coming back about to hit his buddy. Oh, God. He shot his buddy off of Superman's chest. That's messed up. That is a rookie move right there. Rookie <laughs> mistake. Cool book, though. Yeah, thanks, man. It's got a big, bright yellow cover, which I love the yellow covers, the pink covers they had. And um, it's actually pretty – it's a nice book, man. Can you please do a good job on this? Thanks. I'm going to do like my best, time. man. All right, hit me with this next one because it's Batman. It's a 7-0. That's Matt Hatter. I can tell it from over here, even if it's upside down. Yeah, I mean, I just brought this book because it's a cool book. It's a great Joker cover, Joker Genie cover. It reminds me a lot of Headline Comics 8. Joker Genie cover. Yeah. I love it. There's a Headline Comics 8 is an amazing uh, cover. It's World War II. It's got Hitler cover on there with Hitler coming out as this evil genie. Okay. It's a classic, super expensive, very, very tough book. Okay. And this is reminiscent of that. 
Um, Batman the- 49, 7.0, Joker appearance. First appearance of Vicky Vale and the Mad Hatter. Yeah, you can't forget about Vicky Vale. I nope. mean, kind of a sort of love interest, kind of like Batman's Lois Lane in a way, because she kind of did reporting and she always thought Batman and Superman were the same, or Batman and <laughs> Batman and Bruce Wayne were the same. And this is so silly. One thousand and one thrills as Batman and Robin meet the real thief of Baghdad, the Joker, titled Batman's Arabian Nights. <laughs> It's ridiculous. Joker looking awesome on this cover, though. Very mischievous. He's got some nails. I don't think I've ever noticed Joker. He's got these, like, like claws on his hands there. Those are some pointed. He's nail-filed these down. Yeah, look, it's a great Joker cover, man. If you really think about it, they're not all great, but I really love this one. Yeah, it's a cool one. Right. The red pops. Great book. Yeah, those are some claws, man. Right? You don't really think about it. It gives him this like aspect of, all right, he is creepy, but man, if he scratched your back, it'd probably feel pretty good. I think you're right. There you go. Comic fam. I brought some stuff here. I typically bring comic books to the table, but this time I'm bringing something else. I'm bringing an announcement. That's right. We're breaking some news here today. I'm not 100% sure when this podcast is coming out, but what I will say is as of July 16th, we will be in open enrollment for the August mystery mail call and we have one cover that we guarantee per box and then we have another exclusive that we're going to try our best to get one per box but it's not guaranteed because we're still going through damages and that's how it goes but here's the thing i got the original artwork it came in well before our covers even are announced so I brought him here today. I want to get Jeff's response to them. I wanted to see what he thought, but I also wanted to showcase them here for the comic fam. So the first one, I present to the community for the first time. Drum roll, please. As well as to the Golden Age Guru, we have our first Maxwell Prince, but that's not the first time we've taken a Maxwell Prince book to press. We did do the Haha ha Issue 3, which is fantastic. Shout out Zoe Lucky. This is our first Ice Cream Man cover. Take a look, comic fam. We have the impeccable, the fabulous Davy Go on Ice Cream Man. Did you say impeccable? Impeccable. Impeccable. That's right. Unfathomable. <laughs> the talented individual from Jamaica who produced this work of art. And we have the Ice Cream Man in truck with fangs. Just serve in his community some soft serve. I think it's a cool cover, man. I haven't read The Ice Cream Man, but you told me about it. And it sounds really, really interesting. But I'm loving this. I mean, the expressions on these kids alone is... Uh, I know. Take it all in, man. Because yeah, like it's... the kids' ex- um, emotions that are like coming through their eyes and their excitement, but slash discomfort seeing something that's just off... Just all coming together to make a pleasant but creepy cover. And what I told Davey was, yo, I want to see some like balloons. Maybe he's just serving some kids, you know, like make it kind of joyful and fun, but make Ice Cream Man just a little creepy. You yeah, know? he's like, uh, dude, kids like, uh, are you going to hand that to me or what, dude? It's, it's melting in your hands already. We have uh, virgins and uh, trade dress uh, variants that we've made of this. And yeah, we're again, we're going to try to make them one per box, but right now this is not the guarantee one per box. They're going out at random. It's a mystery box and that's how it goes. I'm really digging his art style there, man. I Dude, really am. Davey go. I gotta, 
I got to give it some love to Constant Risk of Fire over on Instagram. That's Davey Goes um, IG. This gentleman has a um, just a way of being able to draw the human form, female bodies and their faces and emotions with these with the pencil work that he does, which is not very common in the in this game anymore. Most people go digital. They do half half. You know, maybe they they'll paint it and then go digital. Shout out Ben T. But this gentleman, he just goes all in on the pencils, all in on the line work. And it takes such a level of precision and confidence when you're doing the, the you know, uh, a body drawing. He just nails it time and time again. You know him from our uh, X of Swords magic cover. You know him from our Red Sonia superpowers cover. Um, I also found something really fun. He posted on his Instagram this must have been like, I don't know, a couple weeks ago where he was just kind of having fun. And he said to his community, because he's got a lot of artists who follow him. And he said, hey, what's something that you would steal from my art ability? You know, something fun. Because he wanted to see what people would say. Like, you know, what do you like about what I do? Because he's trying to dial in and provide his community what they like. And there was a handful of comments, great positive comments from his community. But there was one that hit IG that I screenshotted because it was from a legend. Adam Hughes responded. This is what Adam Hughes responded to Davey Goh's art style. Everyone loves Adam Hughes, specifically his ability to draw women as well as the female form. Adam Hughes says, I literally reference your style all the time. For me, it's how natural your bodies look. When Adam Hughes says that about your art and you are a new comic artist, mostly variant cover artist in the game, that's what happens. So I've been teaming up with Davey Gum and we've been holding out on this Ice Cream Man cover because, you know, I have to organize when these things come out. And sometimes they come out the next month, sometimes in a couple months. And, you know, with damages, we'll prioritize one cover or the other. So I've been kind of sitting on this one for a minute now. But this next one we've been working on, and it happens to be another Davy Go cover. They came together in a shipment from Jamaica. This next cover you're going to know. This next cover will be one per box. We're making different variants of it. So look out for those, but I'm just going to show you the main trade dress version that is should be final at this point. We don't have them in hand yet. However, they're going to press. It is Betty Page. And I reached out to you, Jeff, and I said, dude, I'm looking for an homage. Betty Page homage. And you said a couple different books, but then you said one that was like, oh, that's what it has to be. A book that we're going to be talking about later on in this conversation. Take a look at our Betty Page cover. And why don't you just break it to the community? This is not Betty Page. What are you talking about? This is Phantom Lady. That's <laughs> right, baby. We got... This is Phantom Page. The Phantom Page, yo. We have the trade dress actually in the Phantom Lady style. But this one right here is one of the best, one of the most well-known good girl covers, bondage covers. We got Phantom Lady 17, yeah. Yeah, this is a, it's, it's gorgeous. It really is. Right? He crushed it to, to look enough like Betty Page and still give a blonde phantom feel to it. Kudos, man. You killed it with that one. That does, a, I mean, I, I think it does a Golden Age book justice right there. Oh, man, when the guru says that it does its justice, Davey, go well done. Well done. I am so excited to work with this 
amazing creator again and again and again. He's definitely become one of my favorite artists of the last year. And when you're doing work like this, man, I mean, he was channeling Matt Baker. I sent him a bunch of Matt Baker art, not just Phantom Lady. Mm -hmm. I sent him a bunch. I'm like, dude, just so you know, this is a cover that means a lot to a lot of people, but specifically this artist, uh, the first major African-American artist in the comic game in, in the Americas for like a publishing company. It's a big deal. And he took it seriously. And you can see the level of work that he put into it. The time he did it right. Bravo. Very excited. Comicton101.com to secure your boxing. Guarantee a version of your Phantom Lady homage. We have Betty Page in bondage. And that's right. She's got a gun putting it in the uh, gun satchel instead of uh, what Phantom Lady would typically use. Yeah, she had her little eye beam. That's right, her eye beam. There's a name for that, but I'm I'm spacing here in this moment. Okay, now let's get back into the Promise Collection here because I want to hear what you bought. I want to know how much you spent. This is public. I know you're going to be fine to say it because if we don't say it, people are going to go onto the website and see it. I want to know why. I want to know what was going through your brain, your noggin, your head, dish. All right. So are we talking about just the promise books? Yeah, just the promise right. books. Today. I bought two promise books, guys. Two. All right, and one of them was uh, Samariner Comics Eleven. Dude, I love that cover, man. We showed that cover during our Golden Age analysis for Variant Comics. Shout out Eris and Tim. That's the one where there's like that. He's like in the dragon's mouth, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, it's it's one of the best covers, and I think in those first, I don't know, twenty issues at least. Uh, one, uh, one's pretty good. Uh, eleven, and I think twelve or thirteen. There's like ones with snakes around. That's really awesome too. But I love that cover. It was an eight o promise book, and I wasn't looking to buy that. I mean, I have a, I have a couple of copies already in my personal, and I'll probably let one go now just because. What was the grade of this one? And what was your list like when you entered? You don't have to get into specifics on which comics, but how many comics were you like? If I can, I'm gonna get one of these. So the only two books, look, I, I try not to go in with a list. Same thing as I do at a comic convention. I tell you all the time. I don't go in there with a plan. I go in there and I find my best options for books. Okay. Yeah, you're kind of inspired. Looking. You know, you yeah. let, let the, use the force kind of thing. Yeah. There's always books you're looking out for. If it happens, great. But then I don't leave disappointed because I'm always looking because I have enough out there option wise that I'm open to purchase. Sure. So it's kind of the same idea with this. I was like, all right, whatever comes my way will come my way. This happened to come my way, I thought. And again, it did kind of hit me with the buyer's premium after because I was like, oh, that's a pretty good price. And then it closes. And I was like, oh, that's right, BP. <laughs> there it is, another 20%. All right. But still a cool book. I think after it closed, it closed for 19.2 after BP is where it went to 19,000. 19, yeah, 200 I think it was what it closed at. Okay, so you're you're let's let's round down to make it feel better. So 19k, 19K. for Submariner. Okay. Yeah, and then um, the other book that I got was a Captain Flight Comics number 11, classic LB Co. So two number 11 comics. Classic LB Co cover, uh, it was a 90 white pager. Nice. And I thought this one went for pretty inexpensive. I don't know what I paid for it. You don't know what you paid for it? <laughs> Hold on. Let me look Figure it, up. it out. Dude. I got to know what you paid oh for this God. book, man. He's forgetting already, comic fam. But what I will say is there was a lot of LB Cole that hit Heritage. And 
wow, some of the prices on these books. We were chatting about what we thought they would go for, and we were throwing out numbers like, ah, does it deserve to hit this? Or like, you know, based on the grid, what do we think? And every step of the way with every one of these sales, it outdid expectations. So the fact that you're saying already that there was a book that you felt like was kind of affordable, like surprisingly a good deal, I'm curious if there were any others that surprised you. I ended up paying 18000 after BP for this Captain Flight. 9.0 it wasn't the highest graded, but it was a 9.0 white pages from a promised pedigree. I feel that was pretty soft for that sci-fi book. Okay. You know, I do feel that I bought that with some value to it. So about 37K and you bought other things. I'm assuming now you're probably looking to sell some books. Yeah, probably going to sell some books here because, you know, you got to. You mentioned it. You're like, yo, if I go over there, I'm going to be, you know, thinking if I'm going to get these, I'm going to move some other things. And so I left stuff there to consign. Okay. I left a bunch of books. I took a short box of books. I was like, here you go for consignment to put towards the purchase of these books, then they're going to auction those books off and then it'll just help pay off the process, right? Sure. So I'm just feeding feeding the the beast, all right? It just keeps goes in this circle. The dragon. The dragon for this case, exactly. And so um, the other two books I bought, one of them was Osona Wim. It was a famous funnies book for Zeta. Again, BP hit me. I was like, oh, shoot. I just It's like that taxes on eBay when it hits you, but... Double the tax. <laughs> hey, I got um, hit up by a bunch of members after we chatted about that who said if you uh, um, you can upload a reseller's permit. And yeah, apparently. I was telling you that, man. Yeah, I got to do that, man. Yeah. Damn. It's making me that. not want to buy books right now. I'm yeah. like, I got to do that first. You got to do that. So, and then it was another super mystery comics, one of my favorite books that I've wanted. And um, it was, I bought it and allegedly the Promise Collection had a copy in it. So I was buying it as the highest graded but you just don't know what the promise was going to come back. Oh, so you may be outdone. So there's a yes. little bit of a risk there. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Right. But the promise, so promise collections, on the next portion is coming out in their September auction. And it came back 8.5. Oh, okay. So mine was a 9.2, I think. Oh, so you're still leading the charge. Okay, cool. Leading cool, the cool. charge. And I'm expecting this 8.5 to sell for a lot. So that will now probably jump my 9.2 purchase. To even higher, so um, that was, that was a, a little calculated bit of a investment with some risk, but it looks yeah. like it's paying off. Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, I'm not looking to move that book; it's a personal book. So, anyways, the, those were my two promise books. I'm excited to get a piece of it. I think I might be done now that I got a couple pieces and got it out of my system. I mean, I, I really injected my system with a lot of it, man. I went down there, dude. So, I think it's officially out of my system for now. And I'm excited for anybody else who wants to get some books. It's going to be interesting to see what else happens with round two of the promise books. But um, yeah, man, I'm ready. And now, wait, now we got to get ready for cons, man. Cons are picking up. Yo, you just said that you uh, waited too long to get your tickets. Are we going to Torpedo in like a week? Yes, we're going to Torpedo. Okay, we're going, going to Torpedo, guys. Okay. And, um, if you're going to be at Torpedo, look for me too, guys. I'm going to go live there trying to help people sell their books to the IG community. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So Dude, I'm you're go doing l- such a solid for the members. Yeah, like thanks, that. man. I'm going to try to spend about an hour, hour or two, Wi-Fi permitting. Here's hoping that they have reception, but just going to walk around the show floor. If you got something you want to sell in the IG community that you're really going to sell, right. okay, then um, it's going to be a fun place to do it. So are we going, I know we're going Friday, so we're probably going to fly in a little early, but what are we doing for uh, Saturday? Are we going to be there too? I think we should stay there till through Saturday afternoon or so. I agree, man. There's going to be a lot of members of the comic fam, a lot of peeps there. I wasn't planning on going. Um, it's just, 
the, the stars aligned, you're going to be going, I feel better now. You know, I'm vaccinated. I feel safe. I'm going to probably wear a mask still, at least on the airplane for sure, because dude, I always get con crud. That's not what I want to be dealing with. But you know, I miss the con scene. I got a taste of it going to Puyallup, you know, seeing the community, seeing artists and writers that I've been reading for the last year and a half, especially cooped up in my house. You know, like I'm ready to get back on that show floor. I'm ready to get on the floor and start hunting for some comic books. Yes. Comic fam, if you meet us out there at, Torpe- at the Torpedo Con, what, it's in L.A.? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's, it's, I can't it might be remember. the Palladium. Yeah, right, wherever it is, look it up. You know, Torpedo Comics, uh, Torpedo Con, um, it, they're doing a really dope convention and they're getting a lot of great creators. The lineup is ridiculous and we're going to be there. So come by and say hi. I'll probably give you some elbow bumps and fist bumps because I'm not looking to get sick, but I do want to meet the community. I want to see people I haven't seen in years. The channel's grown a lot. So come by and say hi. I also like to bring comics with me so you make it a you know, little gift from yours truly that's that's precious dude i so brought nice a, you. i brought some books to puyallup just in case and yo it made some people's day it looked like so i'm gonna keep that rolling i think it's some karma i can personally pass out some karma i like that yeah no that's a good i mean look i gotta say man there's one thing we're not short on is comics right now man that is very very and i looked true. it up man torpedo con all right just to give you guys a date all right july 23rd through 25th at the hollywood palladium Right. It's LA, California, guys. Hot damn. Yep. Hot damn. Comic fam, we're going back to the con scene. Okay, let's get into the Promise Collection prices, okay? And then we're going to talk about grading, so stay tuned. Long podcast coming today. We're already an hour in. What's going on? Where are you getting this type of content, Comic Fam? One hour in. And we got so many more expensive comic books to discuss. Okay, so first off, let me read you this right here, okay? Because I, I cracked open some of these books. Not literally, you know. I got some digital copies. Let's make it happen. And I want to read a little bit of a riddle for you, okay? Calling all mystery fans, we're talking the first page of Detective Comics 140. Now, this is a first appearance of a major character. But we defy you to solve these sinister riddles. Who is the latest criminal to challenge Batman and Robin to a deadly game of wits? Who is the villain to use riddles, jigsaws, acrostics, and all types of puzzles to perplex the dynamic duo? Who places Batman and Robin in a maze of doom where only courage and ingenuity can fathom freedom? There is but one answer to all of these riddles. His name is The Riddler. That's right. We're talking about Detect 140. Detect. It's because we have, okay, you know what? One thing I did in the last couple weeks, we'll say things like toss. What does toss mean? TOS, Tales of, Tales of Suspense. So when we were going through and like getting these comic books down, you spelled them out tech, T-E-C. That's how we call these books. It's a nickname, but tech is Detective Comics. We're talking about Detective Comics 140, the first appearance and origin of the Riddler, coming out in 1948 in October. Fitting, you know, Halloween month, you know, for a kind of a sinister villain. And this book at a 9.6 went for $456,000. That was an insane, insane number in that room to watch it almost hit Half a million dollars for the first appearance of the Riddler. 
I mean, that, and, and I'm going to tell you, that was crazy. But the next book after this, when we get into it, is even crazier. Just a little touch of it. I mean, but this character, Riddler's super popular. I mean, he was so popular. He was the very first villain on that 1966 Batman series. I mean, that's that's how big he got. I mean, he's on the cover. You know, it's seldom that you see villains on the cover. You're going to see themselves for an inflated amount, just like this next one. I'm assuming you want me to jump over to Solomon Grundy. No, man. Oh, you want to talk about Phantom Lady? I, I think I preluded to the Phantom Lady. All right, we're doing it again. Okay, here we go. So next one on this list is Phantom Lady 17. You've seen it on the show already today because we did an homage to it because that's how much we love this cover. Well, the comic fam loves this cover. The collectors, the investors certainly do. This book is Phantom Lady 17. Cover art by Matt Baker, a 9.6. Is it right? It went for the exact same amount as the Riddler. This was the most unbelievable moment in the auction to see a good girl cover tied at grade, same grade, nine, six pink pages because Victor Fox, who owned Fox publications, apparently used pink paper because he can get a really good price on pink paper, pink pages. I always thought it was kind of a color bleed. You got a lot of pink, but legend, there's actual pink paper that he used. Regardless, good girl, to go for $456,000 as well. Wow. I don't know if anybody could have predicted. A lot of the good girl books did really, really well. Okay, they did. They did, but come on. Like, I would never have speculated, A, the number for the, the Riddler anyway, but to be the exact same price as a superhero villain, I mean, I don't know. That, that's, that's crazy, crazy numbers, guys. Phantom Lady 17, a major collectible comic, very important to collectors and investors. This book, cover art done by Matt Baker. It's a bondage cover. It's a good girl cover. She's like, you know, wrapped in in rope. Um, This book was referenced in The Seduction of the Innocent, which is what led to the establishment of the Comics Code Authority that would end up being a... Uh, a burden on creativity for years, preventing things like ghouls and monsters and vampires and anything sinister to be written or drawn in a comic book because it was potentially corrupting the youth. Um, But here's the reason that Wortham writes about the cover and why he referenced it in the uh, Seduction of the Innocent. It's that it was sexually stimulating by combining headlights, which is what they would called breasts back in the day with the sadist dream of tying up a woman. Now I've read this comic and I don't think Wortham was reading his comics because really this cover is pretty tame, but the inside has way more things that you'd be surprised to see post code, but even in modern times. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how tame the cover was because you got to look at it at the time and period. Sure. I mean, at the time and period, Yes, it was a, a very sultry cover. It is very sultry. Okay, and the interiors, yes, it's a, uh, it is a female, uh, it's a heroine in, you know, her garb that's, you know, low cut and exposes certain areas. Sure, but the message is different. You know, he's going by, like, the appearance, but the message in the comic is very positive. Right. You know, because you're, you're seeing these abused, almost roughed women who are then being saved by a female character who's tougher than a lot of the men in it. So honestly, the message is strong to just show that, you know, this woman has strength and she's powerful, you know, despite what she's wearing, but he took only by the visual aspect of it. So it doesn't even feel like they 
he he looked at it in a manner that would be non-subjective. Yeah, it's like when I'm reading through this, I was more surprised seeing as much abuse and like just roughing up the the females in the comic. Like that's where if there was someone that was going to point to something that they don't want kids to read or see, even if it was done in a way that was like, yeah, look, at, we have empowering women who are saving the day, you know, just like Cap and Bucky. Yeah, there may be a swastika or Hitler on the cover, but they're there to stop it. They're there to, you know, fight crime and save people just like Phantom Lady was. But if you're going to point to something, maybe point to the panels that are less about how much she's wearing or how little she's wearing and more about how women are just treated in general in this comic book. So it's a little, you know, a little random to see that. Um, But this is one of those books, man, that are very wanted in the community, very expensive. And we're going to see a trickle down effect from this, regardless of it being from a particular pedigree. We're going to see other comics start to hike up in price regardless of grade because this one just set a huge marker for the top tier. It definitely has already increased values for the entire Phantom Lady run, except for maybe the Ajax publications, which were were after the Fox. There was another series, like a series two. But, you know, Matt Baker's covers on there and even Jack Kamen's covers on there, who's an amazing artist as well. So you're definitely seeing that trickle-down effect. The next book on this list is All-American Comics 61 from 1944. First appearance of Solomon Grundy. You love this character, man. I love this character. He's got that weird historical story of coming from this, like, 1700s poem of this guy who basically is born every week and dies in a week. You know, and it's just this tale of just born on a Monday and basically dies on a Sunday. So we're going to read something here from one of the first pages of this comic book. Introducing Solomon Grundy, the monster. We have a tale of Solomon Grundy. Born on Monday, got a mob on Tuesday, robbed on Wednesday, looted on Thursday, murdered, muckduck on Friday, trapped on Saturday and Sunday, dealing with Alan Scott. I added that last little part, but you know what? Dealing with Alan Scott is what this uh, villain does, and he would live on well past the golden age to become one of the fan favorites of Batman, Batman's rogues gallery, DC's rogues gallery, and All-American Comics 61. What was the grade on this book? This was a 9-6. Now, this is not the highest graded. Yeah, isn't that uh, the church? The church, I think I think it's the church, but there is a 9-8 out there. I'm sure it's the church because I know who owns it. So it should be the church 9-8, and, um, but it closed at $138,000, which honestly I thought it would be a bigger number. I thought that that would be bigger. I like, did. That's a huge book, a tough book, a scarce book, a high grade with that pedigree label. Surprising. Yeah, a little surprising for me. And I've, like I said, I've always loved this character. I think this character would be great in a film. I mean, you could do so much with the kind of a mystical type character like that. So, I mean, I would love to see it someday, but I was a little shocked. This was one of those prices where I was like, oh, but it was the second book in the auction. So maybe people didn't want to, you know, spend all their money at once. I'm not sure, but it didn't seem like people were running out of money in this auction. All right. The next book on this list is a classic cover by Jerry Robinson. We have Joker featured and that is prominent and a main reason why this book is so difficult to secure because people want it bad we're talking tech 69 we're talking a 9.0 we're talking about a hundred and twenty six thousand dollar sale that's a solid solid number i mean i've always loved the 
the two gun cover that he's got. You yep. know, I've always loved that cover, and a lot of people do. It's probably one of the most appreciated Joker covers because I can't think of another Joker cover that I like better than that, uh, at least for Golden Age. But that that oh, man, that's a strong number. I mean, you just didn't know where the stuff's gonna go, gonna go. But 126k, whoo. Hot damn, right? And this is one of those books that I recommend the comic fam read, you know, find yourself a reprint, find yourself a digital copy. So there's a little bit of a aspect of comics that I really enjoy, which is the uh, historical Americana that is kind of carried on through narratives, even briefly. They didn't even really intend it to happen. It was just what was going on during the day, um, back in the day, rather. Joker is a villain that up until this point was traditionally stealing things that were expensive, right? You know, he was hustling. He was causing crime. He was doing a lot of jokes, right? You know, doing a lot of funny things, but also with the goal of making money. And Joker is stealing cameras in this narrative. Like he's hunting down lenses. He's hunting down, you know, stuff to take pictures of. And the boy Wonder, Robin, specifically asked Batman, like, what's up with this? Why is he after cameras? What does he say? It's super interesting because during the war, there was a manufacturing halt on cameras. So Joker, being the opportunist that he is, saw money and value in cashing out on cameras. That's right. So he's uh, surprising the boy Wonder, but Batman knows what's going on. And there's also a panel that needs to be showcased in here. You know, we see a lot of like random panels being clipped out and, you know, created into memes. And, you know, we, we know the, the boy wonder getting, getting slapped, yeah. right? You know, that, that whole one. Well, this one right here is a special one because Joker outsmarts Batman. Okay. He plants a exploding like flash bulb in the back of the truck that he is currently like trapped in Batman captures Joker with Robin's help. They're driving down. They hear a bang and Batman thinks like something happened to the truck, but he was fooled. Joker just had an explosive device went off. Batman gets tricked. Joker breaks out, kicks the boy wonder out of the truck and gets away. And Batman is pissed. He is mad at himself. He knows that he fell for quote, the oldest trick in the book. So he does what anyone else would do. He says, Robin, will you please kick me in the pants and do it without asking any questions? Robin then says, okay, well, you're the boss. What's the gag? And then kicks Batman in the ass. <laughs> He was just frustrated with himself. You know, like you read these panels and you're going, wait, what did I miss? But no, it's just Bruce Wayne is frustrated that he got had by the Joker. And he says, you know what? I deserve a swift kick in the butt. So Robin delivers. All right. Looking at this next one on the list, we have a comic book that is famous, a comic that's a classic, a comic that you have mentioned a few times that you think is a little bit, you know, put on a pedestal because the art is some would say a little bit more simple, but it's more than it being simple because it's L.B. Cole who popularized the black light cover, which really started a lot of like fantastical science fiction covers. This guy would be going on a creating spree in the 40s. Well, Contact Comics 12 is a great example of that. 1946, a 9.6. Dude, I'm surprised. I'm surprised at seeing that this book went for $63,000. Surprised in which direction that it 
I feel like that's low, but I know that that isn't as low because it's not a huge key. But this is such a wanted book on the con floor that I thought with the added layer of the pedigree that we may see this approach the $80,000 marker. Yeah, this is a tough one to gauge, right? I mean, you know how I feel about this cover. Right. So seeing it at 60 is still seeing it's still a, I mean, it's a still a lot of money, right? Being 9.6, I can see why you wouldn't think that maybe it can go a little higher. I think this is probably about what it deserves. Right. Um, so this one hits about right, but it's an interesting book because if you think about the interior, you kind of have this sci-fi feel of a cover, but really the interior isn't about a sci-fi story. That's something that's a little bit of a misunderstanding about this book because it is a very, like you see kind of planets and you see almost a rocket ship that looks advanced, like a, a futuristic type of vibe happening. And then when you incorporate that black light cover, you're thinking you're in for like a Star Trek type of situation, you know, what aliens are going to pop up. But this is a comic book that's more about flight, airplanes and jets and things like that. However, this is a comic book that probably had more to do with children and young adults learning about real world applications and science than they probably they were getting in school. It's a super fun read. Like if you really think about some of these books, I mean, like we always said, people learn to read through these comics. They were very text driven. And they used big words, they had historical meaning to them, and they discussed things that were interesting. And we'll get more into some of these story arcs, and you'll be like, wow, they're actually really um, in-depth, even relevant to today in some aspects of of certain fears that you can feed on. So this book just gets into just understanding flight. Who doesn't want to understand flight, especially in that time frame when you're just learning about planes, why they stay in the air? how they maneuver, how to be a pilot, just these fun things as a kid. We're not even talking about like a fictional narrative that has little lessons to be learned. No, we have multiple stories, but yeah, you have a story in the beginning that's like, you know, drama that, you know, ends with, you know, people flying airplanes and saving people. Sure, you know, it's a comic. But then you have the reason why this has a sci-fi looking cover on it. We have an entire section about, explaining to the reader why we will achieve the success of reaching the moon one day. This is 1946. We wouldn't get to the moon till 1969. So ahead of its time, but using a narrative saying, look at, look where we came from. As soon as we discovered gunpowder, as soon as we learned that we can send rockets into the air, as soon as the government was able to learn how to make something nuclear, that now gives us the promise, the idea that we will be able to manufacture something that could escape Earth's gravitational pull. How could we even do that? And they're literally showing panels of, you know, it's all fiction. At this time, this wasn't anything that was actually happening, but they're putting these ideas into place so that the reader, that kids can see that, no, science is heading into the direction and where they're headed is to other planets. But first, we got to hit the moon. And what we can do is create a rocket and have that rocket detach, and that'll escape the gravitational pull. And then that could actually launch you towards the moon. You don't need to land on the moon. You just have to go around the moon because you can use the moon's gravitational pull to propel you. And then it can hand you back to Earth where you can land safely. Like they're doing all this reasoning to just give some inspiration to young adults to make something that is so scientific and intelligent, a bit more palatable for the average person. Yeah, presenting concepts. 
Right. You know, this this is this is what's interesting about the comics because you can kind of suspend belief and they found they used this comic to express scientifically. I mean, they had to maybe do some research so that you can understand and let the next generation know this is what's going to happen for the future. Get excited because that's where we're going to the moon and back. So cool comic. Hate the cover. I don't hate the cover. Hate's a strong word. Overrated cover, in my opinion, but the interior is made up for it. It was a lot of fun. It was a really cool read. There's a you know a couple stories in between these like lessons to be learned, but there's like a three page story about oh what are we gonna do? There's fog on the landing field. It's gonna affect our scheduling. We're not gonna be able to fly. And then it's like no, this is why you don't need to be able to see when you land a plane and they go into it, the trajectory and how you can work with ground control and how you can do the math. So you know exactly at what angle to land. Like there are, there's an abundance of art that describes step-by-step on how to fly a plane and how a plane can, can glide and, and suspend into the air and stay in the air. It's an amazing thing. And Notice we didn't bring up aliens at all. And you would think that on the cover that there'd be some type of fantastical science fiction vibe to it. And it's not. It's just getting you to buy it off the damn newsstand. LB Cole, you are a freaking beast. It's it's early age clickbait, guys. Just like That's you right. have it now, man. You're just doing it so you can buy it or click on it here. All right. This next one is Captain America 36 and 9.4 back in 1944. Classic cover by Sid Shores. And this book is ridiculous. We'll get into a little bit about it because, wow, like the Golden Age books, they went there, man. They went the distance, but the price went the distance. Hit them with the sale. Dude, a 9.4 of this book. Again, this went went for way more than I thought it was going to go for, $204,000. All these numbers guys are giving you are after BP, okay? This is the final number that the person's going to pay. $204,000 for this cover. I mean, this is not a Schomburg cover either, okay? It's it's a classic Hitler cover, okay? It's not even a great one, but it's it's a classic one. Hitler's not even in the book. Like, I, went, I read through these pages. Uh, there's a, you know, Golden Age books have a bunch of stories in them. You know, this one I think had four or five. Yeah, I mean, the nice thing is about these, these the pages were generally anywhere from like 54 to 64 pages, and you usually got anywhere from four to like seven stories, depending on times in the Golden Age, what books, whatever, so you did get your money's worth when it came down to it for a dime. I mean, you got a good amount of artwork, great storytelling. And so, uh, and another thing about this book too, I mean, in high grade, it's, it's not easy to get in high grade. It's got a small staple. I mean, not your normal, just feels like it's a little extra small. I had this book, or mm-hmm. I have this book, and the staple is really small, and it crimps a certain way in the interior. So like my, my centerfold popped out of mine just because of the process of that book just closing it all. Yeah, that paper wears even a little bit. And when yeah. that staples really dig it in there, it, it, it starts to dry out over time and then pop. Yeah, just like that. So anyways, kudos on man on this awesome book with 204K. Man, again, this is those are some of the numbers, man. And you're going to see more as we're going. There's an awesome... Uh, you know, fighting Nazi story in this. It's the last story of the book. Uh, Bucky and Cap going up against General Von Savage, right? You know? Um, Sounds like a WWE wrestler or something. A little bit, right? Yeah, they're trying to uh, break through a... uh, They're trying to get through France and and do a secret attack, but, you know, they're stopped by our our Captain America, right? Leading, Leading the charge, protecting the community. I don't even know if this... Did the book have an interior Hitler appearance? Not that I saw, no. 
So he might not even been in the store. Like, I don't we tried to was. find him. I didn't see him. I don't know if you saw him. I went page by page, man. I did not find him. Yeah. So it's you know it's a, it's a war World War Two story. You know, obviously Captain America saves the day. But the blood of Doctor Necrosis. This story in here is insane, comic fam. We have something that had to be like something that soldiers back during the war had to be a little concerned about. They were getting a lot of blood transfusions. Like Red Cross was delivering a lot of blood to injured personnel and veterans. All right. And this is a story about a veteran who goes back from the battlefield to get a blood transfusion and the blood has been tampered with. The blood was tampered by Dr. Necrosis, who is a scientist who has what he calls white gangrene. And this dude does not look good. And this whole narrative is about how he is tampering and experimenting on blood, which is also causing death on the you know post-battlefield for injured veterans. And Cap and Bucky have to go and stop him because he's about to extract blood from his assistant, a female that has potentially his cure of his disgusting illness. This story, I mean, if you really think about how sick that is, That's you know, and up, terrifying dude. that could be. I mean, if you're, again, you're a young kid reading this and you're thinking about blood disease and these soldiers going through this and someone tampering with the blood supply. Okay, this is all stuff that, you know, to this day people can just theoretically, you know, imagine or theorize some something happening to that extent, right? Yeah, conspiracy uh, theory kind of thing. Yeah, like, conspiracy you know, theories or blood tampering or anything getting Kind of dangerous into, a little bit to, to, to create fiction in, in that way. Something getting into the ecosystem, you know, right. in some manner like that. So, I mean, again, first off, this is the very first story in the book, and it should be because it's awesome. It's crazy. Right? And, and that first page spread, Dr. Yeah, Necrosis. Yeah, and yeah, that first page spread is nuts, okay? The very first page. And then, again, the cover story was the last story in the book. That's right. Okay, so they, they did go by what they thought was better for storytelling, but for selling books, they went with what's better on the cover. So read this, man. You gotta, I, I'm going to pull up the page here oh because it's so ridiculous. The blood of Dr. Necrosis. It is a far cry from the bloody outposts of the war flung Pacific battleground where shell-torn and bullet-ridden heroes gasp for the precious blood plasma to the civilized world where this life-saving plasma is collected and prepared. Captain America and his pal Bucky, fighting freedom's fight against the Japanese, stumble on the foulest and most insidious plot of all time and trail it to its bloody source. Whoa, that is like super disturbing. And what a, what a page spread, which by the way, also doesn't happen in the comic book. We see Bucky, who looks like he's next up for getting a blood transfusion, but he does not get one. He actually is with Cap saving the day. It is grotesque. It is a mind bender. You know, it, it, it doesn't feel great rating this because they're talking about a subject that is so uncomfortable. Maybe we could even say it's a little eerie. Hmm. Transition. What? All right, next book Star on this Wipe list. <laughs> we have Eerie Number One from 1947. This comic book is dedicated to the horror genre, but it's also considered the first horror comic book. The narratives on the inside are like the first crack at writing an EC-esque story. Can you give a rundown of what that type of style story is? 
Well, generally, an EC is going to be narrated by another person, but um, it didn't really. It doesn't have its own narrator. Yeah, that like is that. a difference. This doesn't have like a narrator. Yeah, um, this is just generally with uh, horror stuff for EC. Somebody bad does something bad, and then they get their comeuppance at the end. That's right. Okay, and it's typically surprising, shocking, a little disturbing or spooky, right? So this just kind of tells a tale along those lines, and I think you you just recently read it, so you'll you'll be able to recall it better. You know, and some people might disagree this is the first horror book because there are other books that feel horror-like um, in the collectible. And, you know, I could debate this too. I mean, for the most part, let's just hit the grade and the price right now. 9-2 for 90K. Now, I'll be honest with you, that is really, really far more than I think quite a few people felt this book would go. So, again, this book, this pedigree is really drawing out a lot of collectors 90k man i talked to a lot of people who collect horror comics i don't think they expected it to go past like 45 that's a hyperinflation, man because of that pedigree and yeah the, there's a handful of like ghoul stories in here there was one that i read i mean i had to read this book a, a couple months ago so i, I don't want to riff on it too much and get it wrong because i didn't read it right before the mic but i do recall there being a very sinister story about a doctor visiting a patient who then really goes nuts and unleashes a t- pet tiger in his home that then eats the doctor and does something else foul. I mean, they started out strong with the disturbing nature of the horror genre, whether this be the first one. Um, regardless, it led to a lot and was a very important story. Just like this next banger of a book. This may be one of my all-time favorite Golden Age books, narratives, covers, everything. We have Cap 74. We have Captain America in Weird Tales 74, the tail end of the run. Pretty soon, like following issue 75, we're talking about issue 74, Cap would go on hiatus for four years. Cap was not selling as well, and towards the end of the run, you would start to see a more horror narrative, more disturbing stuff happening in these pages. And what do you get on this cover? Get Red Skull, looking demonic for a reason. Yeah, this was a good read. This is a good book. Everyone needs to read this story. It's short, but it's worth every page. Yeah, it's a classic cover. One of the best covers in this run. Let's describe like, it, man, because it's like it's it's one of those picture frame covers, and it's surprising how much they kind of cramp the art and how much we still love the cover no matter what. Yeah, I mean, you you have the weird tales. The title itself has this impact on you already. It's white lettering on a red background. It it's in a strong title. You don't okay. even see Captain America's name really at first gl- at first glance. Yeah. You, would, you trick yourself. You're like, oh, this, this is Weird Tales 74. But if you look up, they have in smaller letters Captain America's Weird Tales. Yeah, I mean, this is the transition of superheroes getting out and leaving the comic. Inter- people's interest in superheroes are already waning at this point. Right. So they're going towards more horror like we discussed. But you still have this attempt, all right, where you have this forgotten characters i think the last time we saw red skull was back in like issue in the issue 60 something i believe it's like 64 so 10 issues prior but he was already kind of disappearing and they were going on to crime and now they're into horror 
but you have them coming back with these huge monster claws, okay? And you just think like um, swingers, you know? You're like this bear, Mikey. You got this claws, and you're just batting around. Okay, so he's this huge character. He's got some Joker life. nails on those hands, you know? They're pointy as hell. Yeah, you got like the, demon, the demon red skull face as usual, huge massive claws, clawing at, at Cap, and you're like, well, what is going on? This is not a normal hero story. This is more fanciful, more more horror-like, what is in the pages. And that's where we dove in and got to see why. It says the Red Skull strikes again. Now, the Red Skull, he comes back, but he doesn't actually come back to the degree that many people would think. The Red Skull is in hell. Don't get it twisted. He's dead in this comic. He's chilling with Satan. He's chilling with his homies. And Red Skull gets his hands on the Book of the Damned. He gets his hands on the book that demons utilize to look at to see who they have to go to Earth and acquire to bring down to Dante's Inferno. And Red Skull's got a great plan. He hunts the book down, and he writes someone's name in those pages. He writes Steve Rogers. So what happens? So like a good demon, one is one demon reads this book and goes up there and does his job. He's surprised, man. The demon's like, I did not expect to see someone this honorable in this book, but hey, it's in the book. Yeah, he was just like, I never thought I would see this name here. Okay, so he's up there and Cap's just chilling, right? Here's a knock at the door. And what do you do when you hear a knock at the door? You're going to go see, hey, who's there? You can't check ring at this time. Okay, you don't have your cameras, security cameras to look, all right, even though he's Captain America. You know, what do you have to worry about? You're Captain America, right? You're, you're, you're great. So he walks up, opens the door, and is snatched by this demon and brought down to the depths of hell. Dude, Captain America goes into the flames, man. He goes down there. He even says, this looks like Dante's Inferno, and that's exactly what the demon says. Like, yeah, you're here. You're in hell now. We're going to take you to Satan. So, uh, comic fam, are you following us right now? Captain America gets dragged down to hell because Red Skull puts his name down in the book of Satan. This is for kids, okay? He goes down there and Satan's like, yo, this, was, this is something fishy. This isn't, something's going wrong here. And what we're going to do to resolve this is you guys are going to brawl. You guys are going to fight. And whoever wins, you get a ticket right back to earth. Whoever loses is going to be chilling down here with me forever, for all eternity. Yeah, and then we get to see Red Skull versus Cap in this fiery octagon, okay? <laughs> like, just battling to... They're like on a pillar of flames, right? You can't go off the edge or you fall. Yeah, battling for salvation, basically. So they duke it out. Cap wins, and, and he knocks a Red Skull out of the arena. But what does he do? He knocks him out of the arena, but he didn't do it on purpose. Like, he's trying to fight for his life. But as he sees that Red Skull is going to fall to his demise, out of instinct, he tries to save Red Skull. Are you kidding me? Captain America is one of the coolest superheroes ever, even in freaking hell, fighting a demon-looking Nazi. He still sticks to his guns, his, his almost Batman type of... Of, of rule book 
and his out of instinct, he tries to save him. He goes and grabs a, a piece of his garment to try to pull him back, and it rips. It rips off, and Red Skull falls to his demise, and that gets him his ticket back to Earth. Satan's like, yep, you won. You're going back up. And so we get a shot on the next panel of him sitting in his chair, kind of coming to, like waking up. Oh, it was All a right. dream. And shaking off, right? Like, oh, this was just a dream. Of wow. course it was just a dream. That a, couldn't be real. What a crazy thing that right? happened. God, and what do I have in my hand? He's got a piece of Red Skull's clothing. <laughs> I know, man. Mind blown. Comic fam, comics are so dope. This is crazy, but this book, all right, Weird Tales, 74. 9.2 from 1949, okay? Beginning the horror format for Captain America, we have a $204,000 sale. I'm not shocked by this number at all. Not at all. No. Mm-mm. This is a great number. Really could have gone more even. I mean, it's just such a cool book. It's one of those ones where it's like you could put any number there and I'd go, yeah, probably. You know what I mean? Like 300? Yeah, 350. Oh yeah, that's high. But yeah, probably 400. Man, you know what? Yeah, probably. You know, like, <laughs> like I don't know. You, you tell me, man, this is one of the coolest books that's ever been created. And it's not the only Captain America book on this list. We're talking about Captain America 46 from 1945 cover art done by Alex Schomburg. And in 1990, excuse me, in 1945, this was a cover that just hits you in the gut. There's, this is, it's a powerful scene. It's an it's a unpleasant scene. It's Cap. It's Bucky saving the day. But it, it's, a, it's a wild cover, man. This is that classic, classic Holocaust cover. Okay, so it, this is a 9-2 copy. All right, you, you literally have somebody put into a burner. Jews are being put into a fiery burn to be burned to death. There's like a line of citizens that are behind. It's it's very uncomfortable, you know? It's like, man, it just you got to put yourself in place of what the average American was experiencing and what they were seeing in the newspapers. And, you know, as this information was coming out during World War II, it, it's grotesque. It's disturbing. But this was their way, the medium of being able to communicate the reality of the world. Yeah, I mean, this is a way to get some of these horrors um, out to the public. And so this is what they did. I mean, this is the platform they used to, you know, just push heroes in general and support the war on in behalf of the U.S. So this 9-2 copy sold for a hundred and was that sixty two thousand dollars a hundred and sixty two k how do you feel about that because this is one of those books where there's a lot of people who want it because it is so it's such a, a a memorable cover yeah I think at the time when I saw that I think I felt that it would have gone a little bit higher but again a hundred sixty thousand dollars is a lot of money right okay so um I think that's apparently a fair price. For this book, I can't remember if it's the highest graded or not, but it's a 9-2 classic cover, um, 162. It does fall in line with some of these other books if you think about the 9-4s of what they sold for at 200000 So this just makes sense, you know, um, after seeing the end of this auction and people's mindsets for some of these. So, And we're not going to let you go without a book that we actually chatted about on the last podcast because we were excited to see it. 
and eight five of mask number one. We're gonna finish this list off with some LB Cole greatness. Yeah, this is a classic LB Cole cover for many people. Definitely one of the more coveted for him, especially on this horror type fantasy. So this was an 8.5, and they did have a number 2 and a 7.5, which we can talk about after because we just will have to. But this 8.5 sold for $102,000, and that's that's a pretty strong price. Um, I think that's about where a lot of people felt it was going to go, and and then it ended up there. I think we projected that they would hit near 100K. So, you know, that's right about where we thought we would go. Yeah, and the number 2 did fall a little short. Um friend of mine did buy it and he had his reserve much higher oh so he's probably so feeling pretty good he should be feeling pretty good and i, I was looking at those like oh my god do i bid on this should i bid on this <laughs> that I FOMO. Think I bid on this and but I'm then you're competing against your friend though yes and i would have been i didn't know that though oh. i did not know he, he we didn't communicate because it's just happening so fast and i wasn't thinking i just thought this book's gonna go for too much number two but he i'm glad i didn't bid him up and he got a great book and so super excited for him man so the but the mass two i think I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think it was in the 30s, somewhere mid-30s, low to mid-30s. Oh, wow. Great deal. That's, that's a pretty good deal. Wow. Comic book. fam. What do you think about these prices? You know, I thought it important when talking about how much these books go for to give you a little bit, you know, more of the history, more of what could be found in the pages. You know, there's a lot more than just the pedigree that makes these awesome and the grades that make them awesome. There's a reason why people collect these. There's people why people want to own these. And man, it was really cool to see all of these from a screen, let alone see them in person, Jeff. Yeah, it was pretty Damn good. you. <laughs> I felt Damn pretty, you, I felt pretty Jeff. privileged to get a chance to flip through all that, man. What do you think, comic fam? Let me know in the comment section below. You know, we got giveaways on deck, but here's the thing. We're doing some giveaways on the show today because we hit up the community, all right? We hit up the community. We're talking about grading comics. We wanted to hear your thoughts on grading comics. There's a lot of new members, man, like a lot of new collectors into the space. Like however much the community thinks we have right now, I guarantee it's more. Disney Plus is real, all right? What the shows are doing for the comic collecting space cannot even be summarized with digits because it, every day it's like we're getting thousands of new people who are wanting to participate, wanting to be part of the collectible, the collectible hobby. And they got questions about grading. Okay. And we grade, I grade a lot of books, Jeff, you grade a lot of older books. So I thought this would be a great time for us to kind of just have an open discussion with some community direction because we had them participate and, you know, have them give us a little insight on why they grade, why they don't grade experiences they've had. And then maybe you'll learn something from this comic fam. Hit that like button, slap the subscribe button. We're here to chat expensive paper with you. And this is what, yeah, man, I got comics had to say. I grade only my own personal grails or if it's big enough of a key to sell and make more money to buy more for the PC. Now, yes, grading comics puts a grade on it professionally, and there's a lot of benefits to that. We'll get into it throughout this conversation, but I like this comment because he was very specific. This is a collector who's looking to upgrade his personal collection. And what he's doing is he's grading certain books so that he can make them worth more to then decide what to do with them so that he can allocate the comeuppance, the, the money made on other books 
books that he can put to his own collection to upgrade his PC. What a great way to collect. Now you don't have to spend your entire paycheck. You can be savvy by grading, by you yourself becoming more knowledgeable in the hobby by learning how to grade so that you can grade and then go through a process that may make you a better investment that you can then allocate towards other books that you want that you may otherwise not be able to afford. So basically he's buying books and he's letting go of the ones that he wants less and get them graded so that he can sell them and make money to put towards PC books. Absolutely. That makes total sense to me. Right? right? I mean, I've done that before. I'm sure you've done, you've literally talked about doing it today, you know, getting certain books, upgrading the books, maybe letting go of some books to acquire others. And that's a real way that members get from the kind of early stages of the collectible and buying and then getting their feet wet and buying keys and maybe a bit more expensive books and maybe higher grade of books. Like when I started collecting, man, I wasn't interested in buying nine eights. I was like not on the playing field. I'm like, yo, I don't care if the book's barely hanging on. I want the first appearance of Rhino. So I got one and it was like a good VG. And I was happy with that. I think I paid less than the actual digit number that's on the cover. I mean, it's issue 41. I, th- I remember paying like 30 bucks for a first Rhino and being very content with that. It's not all about getting expensive, expense, expensive books. However, if you're savvy with your buying and you're willing to move up over time as it pertains to grades and quality, you will find success long-term. Yeah, I'm going to give just a little tidbit, guys. Make collecting a lifelong hobby. That way you don't stress about immediate. If you take your time and just enjoy and take what comes to you instead of always trying to force or trying to force things and make things always happen and that's it where you overextend and leverage yourself it's okay to wait and let things fall to you so that you don't feel like you're in this timeline pressure on books you know i'm looking at collecting as a lifelong hab- a hobby so for me it's you know time grows knowledge and then your collection grows and Good things happen, you know, things will come, things will fall your way. If you're out there looking actively, you will have wins through the year. And if you can be patient, then you can make your money work for you um, and have that feel like it's extending and getting you more for your dollar. Absolutely, Jeff. Completely agree with you. Very astute. Next comment from the community is from Daily Grounds. He says, I like to buy graded books. Just have to find the right price. It takes away from the guessing game of grading. Very true. Sometimes books are low grade and traditionally it's kind of harder to grade books below, like as you go down that grading tier list because, hey, if the book is mint, you're counting like one, two defects, right? You're looking for like, you know, in the nine O's, like how many spine ticks do you have? Do you have any like blunted corners, right? Those are easy to spot. But when you're dealing with like a two O, a three O, a four O, a one eight, you know, you're talking about an like such a substantial amount of problems that affect the grade that that's when things get a little bit dicey. And then when you get on, expensive books, you know, you're looking at dropping some money down. That's when things get a little bit of a, as Daily Ground said, a guessing game. If you're not a professional, hey, easy, get it graded professionally. And then when you're going through the deal, you don't have to worry, you know, the buyer and the seller both knows what you're dealing with. Yeah. I mean, look, he's act, he's discussing it as a buyer. Okay. So, I mean, as a buyer, then you also know as a seller, it's probably easier to sell on top of that. So being the buyer, Buying graded, I mean, right now we're looking at values of comics so high that 
if you know what you're doing, you can find value in raw books because generally you can play with a half a point. You know, maybe the person you're buying from, you're describing it enough to where you point out all these things that you might think are still four or five, but you might convince them it's a four oh or a three five. Okay. So then you can maybe buy it and get some value out of that because sometimes people feel grading can be so subjective or maybe his grading ability isn't as good as yours. Again, that's part of the experience of grading education. But like with dollar values being as high as they are buying graded books makes sense because you, then everybody knows what you have, what you're buying, what the value is, because books are generally traded so frequently that we know what the baseline is on a comic. So that's wise if you're doing it that way, buying in. You're comfortable with that, right? You're right. like, okay, I know what I'm getting. I'm the type of guy who needs to know what I'm getting when I'm buying a book, okay? I have to know that this is a four or five that I'm buying because it says so on the label, you know? But then also you got to realize, does it look like a four or five? Am I buying an ugly four or five and paying a solid four or five price. So that's another little fine line you also got to look into when you're buying these books. Does it present well? And that that's a big deal to understand when you're looking at these. Does it present? So th- remember that, guys, in the future, presentation goes a long way. I keep uh, waffling about my uh, Journey 85. I've been texting you weeks over weeks. Every time I find a 2.0 comic book, I look at it and go, how is my Journey 85 a 2.0? Because there's problems with the book, of course, but I've seen some two O's that are atrocious. I've seen some three O's that are atrocious and this book presents so well. I appeal matters. So you have a grading tier, but then you also have to apply I appeal. That's very important because if someone has a two O that they can buy, but then they're looking at another two O and going, yeah, but the back cover on this one's really hashed and the front cover on this one is really hashed. Well, I'm going to look at the front cover all day. I want the one that has a nicer front cover where I can see the character that I'm buying the keywordiness for, i.e. Loki, but sometimes it's on the inside, you know? So you got to apply these factors before you throw money down, but also that should be an indicator as well on whether you should grade a book or not because let's say you have a really good eye appeal book, but the grade isn't great. Well, hey, you put that in a slab. Someone's going to feel confident in the book now. And it presents so well, it's going to be affordable to that person because now they're going, yeah, but this 2.0 looks great. I could spend money on a 2.5, but all the 2.5s that have been seen look like crap. Maybe they'll be fine to buy the 2.0 and now you've moved the book. Awesome. All right, next person on this list. We appreciate your commenting, Comic Fam. All right, we have EEM28001. This is so true. I love this comment. Can you read this one? It's like gambling, always trying for a big score. Trying to top a crow one, I bought raw for 150, now 96 CGC. So I'm not someone who really gambles their money, you know? I like playing poker, you know? But if I play poker, I'm not going into it going, all right, if I lose, I'm going to have the worst week of my life, you know? I'm someone who's like, hey, if I lose all my money, I know going into it that if I lose, I'm paying for the experience. I'm not like try. I mean, obviously you're trying to make money, but you're doing it for a different reason than just like risking it all, you know? Or if I go to a casino and I'm going to play one of the slot machines, I'm kissing that $20 goodbye as soon as I put it in the slot and I'm not going to feel bad about it. I'm not someone who's risking a bunch of money and kind of just grew up conservatively, right? However, there's a real layer of a gambling feeling when it comes to grading comics. I have absolutely gone, ah, this could come back a 9.6 or a 9.8. Eh, but what if? 
Maybe. And that right there is akin to like a lottery ticket. You know, you're hoping you're crossing your fingers and your toes that you're going to have that glorious nine, eight, or man, this nine, eight could be a nine, nine, man, your tomb one. How many times have you told me that you're trying to get this damn tomb one regraded? Cause you really feel like it could be a nine, nine. The day that happens, Jeff, dude, you are going to be dancing. We're going to get it on camera. I will be dancing. I'll be dancing to the camera <laughs> after the camera's done to my car, to the box that it's just going to sit in <laughs> forever. <laughs> Um, like, like it's a vampire in a coffin, right. <laughs> you know, but yeah, that'd be amazing. So, um, no, I totally get it. I mean, look, it's kind of, it shouldn't be a gamble. Like you think it shouldn't be a gamble to grade, but unfortunately it is because it's, it's complicated. It is kind of a science and sometimes you don't feel this consistency there. So it puts a little bit of that gambling, you know, and, and it costs money, right? So you're, you are anteing up here. Absolutely. Any up front here for this bet. So, but Boy, when that bet comes through and you're bringing in those chips, you're like, yeah, I knew it. Even though you didn't really know it, but, you know, <laughs> you, you act like you did and you, you talk about your wins. You don't know usually talk about your losses. Actually, I feel like a lot of people talk about their losses in this hobby quite a bit. But, oh, yeah, dude. We, we get uh, very outspoken when we think that the grades shouldn't be what they are. Um, but, you know, man, it's one of those things. I have had more okay, yeah, I'm content feeling or, oh, really? Oh, damn. Then like dancing moments, you know, especially when like we're dealing with nine, eight moderns, you know, and you take the time to take care of them and ship them down. You're like, yeah, this is a nine, eight should be a nine, eight. It comes back a nine, eight win. Awesome. Everything went right. But there are times where you are just surprised. You're going, oh yes. I am so excited to send the graders, the, 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 what is it? The graders, note, not the graders notes. What am I thinking here? Like the, the results, the grading results to my homies. Like I'll just get a snapshot from Jeff or my dad, or just like a random comic fan member going, yo, they don't even have the book yet. They're just checking that website. Refresh, refresh, refresh. Finally, nine months went by. Look at the response for the grades and they're seeing nine eights, nine eights, and they're just super stoked and they haven't even gotten the books in hand. Yeah, absolutely. When you, when you open up your file, and you get to see your results, and they outdo your expectations. I mean, I don't know. It's almost it's an amazing. It's a it's a weirdly amazing like accomplishment. It feels like a victory, okay? Of some of just a, this grand victory that you beat Goliath, okay? You just <laughs> you won. You did. All right. Well, here we have uh, JS Rich twenty. JS Rich twenty's response was. All right. In response to like, were there any grading fails? I really like this comment. It's going to get you a giveaway here today. I appreciate you participating. He wouldn't call the negative times fails. He calls them disappointments. Unfortunately, there are too many. <laughs> and you know what? That's a real thing, man. You know, when you grade a lot, there are going to be times where things don't go as planned. You, maybe you missed something. Maybe you didn't press something. We'll talk about that here soon. We're going to talk about what goes into our thinking, you know, our thought process when we decide to grade something. Right now we're talking about just chancing it sometimes, you know. Maybe it shouldn't go to CGC or CBCS, but you know what? It could be a 9-8. Let's try it again. You know, we're just kind of talking about those moments right now. Um, but, you know, disappointments, it, it's a real thing. And we have a giveaway uh, courtesy of what is this? CGC. That's right. Your boy's got some. 
tickets that are going out to certain members on our show going forward. We have a free shipping kit, um, JSRetch20. Um, email us. We have the email in the description of the video. Mention that you won during podcast 44. We're going to be providing you with a code to get you a free shipping kit from CGC. This is going to have everything you need to pack and ship your books to get graded with ease. Take care of your books, put them in there carefully, but you know what? You can have some confidence that you're going to have the right shipping materials to do it. We appreciate CGC hooking us up because they are looking for ways to give back to the community that they love, that they serve. They're really busy over there doing, doing what they can. They're getting bought out, but you know what? They are giving back to the community here today with a free shipping kit, so we appreciate them. Yeah, man, I'm, I like J.S. Wretches, man. I like his uh, I like his outlook, you know? He's a very half-full kind of cup kind of guy. I can feel that already through your comment when you're just like, it's not so much, uh, it's more of a disappointment. You know, right. I like that, man. I, like I know, that. I would love to see the real response. Like, you know, he's like, mother! He's like freaking <laughs> But he's like, it was a disappointment. <laughs> he just needed a minute. He had to get back to center. That's, That's all right. Needs. Sometimes just you just gotta, gotta, you know, bring it back. All right, here we got Joe Loves Comics. This is what he says. He doesn't grade. It's much cheaper and easier to just frame my favorite covers on my wall. Hey, this is a real thing. Not every collector is looking to create a investment long-term. Not every collector is looking to sell their books. Not every collectors are flippers. I think members of the community get it twisted sometimes. You know, like sometimes they'll think that every sale amounts to somebody putting money down to try to make money long-term. And then they get into a uh, judgment, you know, starts playing out. No, 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 don't get it twisted, comic fam. That's not what's happening. There's a reason why Avengers Terminix 1 is spiking. It's not because people are thinking that the Eliath is going to be a grand foe one day. No, these are people who saw Loki and they're hyped and they were with their friends. They were chilling with the homies and they got excited and wanted to own a piece of history because when they experienced it, it made them want to buy a comic book and they saw that it was going for 30 bucks, 40 bucks. And they said, yeah, I want to own it. I want to show my friends. I want to put it in a box. I want to put it on my wall. And that's what Joe Loves Comics does. He frames his comics. It's not just about investment. Yeah, Joe loves framing. So, Joe, it's, uh, I mean, look, I don't think anybody should be judged by the way they collect. So I'm a very big proponent, and um, I just think you just enjoy the hobby and the way you want to enjoy it, and the more people that enjoy it, the better. So, like, I'm really against any of that, you know, I don't know, shaming of how you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't collect that or you shouldn't read this. Just everybody do your own thing, man. Have fun. Do it. It's and, like someone uh, judges you for buying 30 bucks, and we are over here going, yes, yeah, someone paid $204,000 for a Captain America 36. Like, where's uh, at what point does the judgment falter there? Uh, you got to get rid of it. I promise you that person there is probably judging you for not being able to Bingo. you know, even get near that. Absolutely, Jeff. All right, next one here, we have Fab Caso. He says, I don't grade. I'm scared to ship off my books and they'll get lost. I have bad luck. Okay, well, what we're going to do here for you, Fab Caso, um, as long as you are comfortable with USPS handling your book, what we're going to do is make sure that they actually have the best chance of getting there in one piece. Email us. We're going to get you a free shipping kit courtesy of CGC. Um, but yeah, some members are a little 
like burdened by the process of getting your books prepared and then going to the websites, whether it's CGC or CBCS, prepping the books, mailing them off, shipping kits help, having the right supplies help. But you got to fill stuff out. You got to do it right. What I will say is that at first when I started doing this myself, it was a little intimidating. But when you do it over and over again, it's like second nature. You know where to go. You know what to check. You know what to input. It doesn't take as long. You're right. I mean, the first time you do it, it's confusing because they have these drop downs and these selections and the options and they give you more than you generally need for just a standard submission. But those are all services they provide. So it does take a second. But like you said, you do it once, maybe twice. You'll get it figured out real quick. You know, it's like it's like when you get a new cell phone, right? Right. Exactly. Like if you go from like a, an iPhone to an Android, you're just like, whoa, what did I just do? And let me just get through it. And then you'll then it'll be like second nature. So same thing with this. But, you know, number one thing is make sure you know what you want to get graded. And once you got that all figured out, you got to also I think another way to capitalize. But that's very important is to put together, I believe, 25 books at a time. If you want to maximize your submission into the same tier. And that's the thing. I think it's trying to figure out the tier systems and value of submitting your books and what's going to come back all together once you save on shipping and you save on time because that's ultimately what you're doing. You're sending your books away basically to to a sleepaway camp for nine months. <laughs> okay, so you're not going to see them for a while. Sleepaway camp, it's like... Yeah, so... Members know what I'm talking about. Yes. Okay, <laughs> so anyways, just um, the process is, gets easy pretty quick once you've done it a few times, but then you start thinking about what's the, after that, what's the best way to maximize my efforts? Okay, well, and kind of going on that, maximizing your efforts, all right, we have a great comment from Harmsway Chad, who says he's looking to get some books graded, but he's not sure which to send in. Great, great comment. I want to go through what we do when we go through a submission process and like kind of how we determine what grades we should or should not grade. And as it pertains to modern books, I'll kind of stick in my lane. I'm not grading a ton of silver or gold. I have graded a lot of bronze and silver, mind you, but I'm definitely someone who's grading a lot more variants in modern books. Um, I'm confident in pressing those more now than I ever have been. So I've been definitely heavy on investing in things like Young Avengers and Next Gen Heroes and things like that. So as it pertains to me choosing what to send down to get graded, it's a combination of a few things that you have to consider. The first, how much did you pay for the book? All right. Did you overpay? Did you underpay? All right. Be real about it. Like, don't forget about that. If you overpaid for a book, you got to factor that into what you're hoping to have happen with this book getting encapsulated. The sec second thing that you have to do is you need to have a basis, basis of understanding grading. And this can come from the first time that you send down or you can pay to play and figure it out as you go by submitting and seeing what happens. I, that's the more expensive way to do it, but it is a way that you will get better regardless of whether you do it in the beginning or not. But I encourage everybody to grade their own comics and get a conservative grade. Get something that you feel like, okay, minimum, I'm looking at a 9.4. If it gets to be a 9-2, okay, maybe, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe minimum it's a 9-2, but be realistic because then you have a number, you have something you're going for, and then you can factor in what that book would be worth approximately. Obviously, if you're thinking like investments and things can go up and hey, you're dealing with a tomb one, maybe it's going to go up in value. Okay, apply that, but that's a secondary application. What you need to do is apply, okay, right now, if I get this book and I paid $50 for it 
and it comes back at anything less than a, let's say, 9.6, then the book isn't going to be worth me grading because a 9.6 goes for, let's say in this hypothetical, $90. Well, it costs between $25 and $30 on average, depending on how much you send and what tiers you do and how you ship it. But let's just say roughly $25, $30. Well, if you're into a book for $70 because of you, you, you paid 40, 50 bucks for it, and you're grading it for 25 to 30, and the book's worth 80, 90, that means you're tying up your investment for six, seven, nine months, depending on the situation, for what? To, to make 10, 20 dollars? And that's if the book retains its value, which there's no guarantee for that either. So maybe walk me through for you what you go through when figuring out if a book is worth grading. On average, this is a tough question. I'll tell you why. By the way, what's up, Harmsway's Chad? He's a supporter on IG. Quite a few of you guys are. Thank you guys. Yo, Harmsway Chad, um, we're going to be getting you a uh, shipping kit as well. So email us. Thank you for participating and being an awesome member. Thanks, Harmsway. Harmsway Chad. Um, okay, so I say it's a tough question because it's going to be what's important enough to you to have slapped. Okay, so you're asking, um, you're not sure what to send. So then you got to find out what it is that, m- that, is important enough to you to slap. So you're like, okay, is it, am I slapping because of value, protecting the book, um, importance of book, Are you going to display it? Is it safety? There's a lot of reasons people grade. Because you want to sell it soon. Um, just, you know, you're not sure on the grade. These are all things that you need to take into consideration of why you're grading the book. So if you're not sure why, then you really need to have to come to Jesus moment of like, okay, if I grade this, why am I grading it? Okay, what's important to me? Am I if I'm looking to move the book, then I should have it graded so that it's easier to move. Okay, for me, I've had most a lot of my collection raw, but I'm finding that I'm buying enough books right now. All right, that I want to keep, but because of prices of books right now and how expensive they are, that it's becoming harder to maximize that dollar amount on a raw book. And plus, your grading could be off. And that every half a point means so much on a book right now that it's important to know that grade for sure, for yourself especially. Okay, like I'm a pretty conservative grader, so I feel like I leave a lot on the table. So for my personal stuff, I'm I'm going to start getting a lot of my stuff graded so that I have it ready to move. Now, what does that do? That takes up a lot of space. If you have a lot of books and you're limited on space, you're not going to grade everything. You're just going to all of a sudden, a short box that holds 125 books plus it's not going to hold 28 books. So you just went to like times five on every single short box you had of raw. Real estate. You think man. about it. Right. And so that means something too on where you live and how much storage you have. Dude, that's a very real thing, man. Like I've seen some members of the community grading a lot of their stuff. And then I see a picture of their room and they used to have just a couple of shorts. And now it's like a sea of slabs. Yeah. And you can see those slabs as your girlfriend walks right out the door <laughs> and <laughs> like, I'm out of here. <laughs> All right. Okay. Kidding. But okay. So let's say you're looking at a standard. Okay. So for this reason, I'm, I'm assuming Harmer's Way Chat is going, okay, I have some keys and I'm not sure if these keys are worth grading. And let's just say he doesn't have anything major that's like, duh, you got to get that ASM one graded. Like, let's talk about just a standard book. Maybe he has a Secret Wars 8 first black suit or ASM 252. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's not about the value of the book. It's like, what is important to you about it being graded? Like if you own this book and you're not confident in the grade, okay, and you're not sure, then go get it graded, 
Okay. If you're, you know, buying a book and you just bought it and you're not sure, like I said, you thought the guy was wrong. Like I said, get it graded, double check it. Okay. Or if you're not sure if it's um, been restored or not. Okay. Another thing you're checking for any type of funny business with these books. All right. Or again, if you want to protect it better, if you want to display it, you might as well display it in a holder because it's even more protection. So it's just like, it's not so much a price. It becomes what is the reason for you to want to spend the money and effort to get it graded? Sure. You know, so for me, it's hard for harm my chat. Like, again, if you just have books, you want to, you're not sure to get it graded, then if you're not sure, then don't get it graded. Sure. You know, like, what's the point? If you're not sure, then not. If you want to learn about grading, that's another reason to go get graded. You know, put together 25 books, various grades, same tier, send them off, put down, the, write it down on a piece of paper what you think the grades are so that you can get a quick lesson on learning. Well, I don't know how quick it is because it's going to take a while to get the results, but you will pick things up and understand the baseline for grading. So, yeah, how much? I want to give you more info. Just DM me, man, if you have more questions, dude. Yeah, I actually was chatting with Jim Mint about grading comics and, you know, and shout out Jim Mint, it's of course. your boy, Jim Mint. And one of the ways that he got confident in grading was just submitting. He's like, yo, dude, I read the Overstreet. I read the stuff, you know. But it's another thing just submitting a book that you think is a 9.4 and seeing a 9.0 and hoping for a 9.8 and getting an 8.5 and going, oh, yeah, there is this problem here. I mean, really, practice makes perfect. And that's an expensive way to go about doing it. But if you combine both of those things, you'll get very dangerous. It's right? worth the investment. If you're going to be in the hobby, it's worth the investment to learn how to grade. Okay, well, now I want to get, so there's some like ways that, you know, like reasoning why people would grade something. There's a lot of different reasons. This next one is from 12 Cent Comics, all right? This is 12 Cent Comics. He's literally nicknamed on Instagram Silver Age Comics, okay? He is looking for the highest potential resale value with it being easier to sell. So as it pertains for trying to get the highest investment opportunity for a particular collectible, because maybe you'll keep it and sell it one day or you intend to sell it one day. Walk me through your process when you're considering a Silver Age key, a Golden Age book. I want to hear your process. For getting it graded or why would you get it graded? Um, if you want, if you were going to get it graded, yeah, what deters you from it? What put, makes you go, you know what, I'm going to do it? Maybe even why are you going to do it and you're not even 100% sure? What tips the scale? So the scale will tip for me in the fashion that um, first I'll determine that I want to sell it. So if I'm determined I want to sell it and um, I don't feel that it's an easy sale raw and the grade isn't obvious t to people, like it's a tweener. You know, you're like, is it 4.5, 4.0? Mm, I'm not sure. And that half a point makes a difference. Sometimes half a point doesn't make a damn difference and it's not worth the value to submit it. So you judge that. You know, 4.0 is 400 bucks, 4.5 is 375. You're like, okay, it's about a $400 book. You're like, okay, well, that just threw it off. You know, so you're just like, okay, it doesn't matter. All right, the grades are 4.0. Okay. And you don't need to go to the 4.5. You'd rather have your customer be kind of maybe satisfied because you're not really leaving anything on the table. Right. It's about a $400 book. So then no point submitting it, right? It's going to disappear. It's going to cost me money. I already have it raw. doesn't matter. But if I have a book where a 4.0 is 3K and a 4.5 is like 3,800, you know, I'm like, uh, yeah. First off, it's going to be easier to sell once it comes back slap as a 4.0. Yeah, there's no like disagreement. You don't have to like convince somebody the grade is the grade. It's right here. I appeal. All right. Another layer, as we mentioned, but the grade right there should signify a level of buying buyer's confidence. Yeah. So again, buyer's confidence because 
and seller's confidence because you have confidence. Absolutely. You know what? That's I didn't leave anything on the table. That's what it is. Great. I'm going to sell it now. Okay. So for me, that, that all comes into play and it all happens really quickly because you do it enough times. It's quick in your head. Like, okay, these are the numbers. Yes, no, maybe so. Right. And that's it. And then if you don't have an avenue to sell raw books is another thing. Like sometimes you don't have a very good avenue. You can't really maximize your dollar amounts. So you just don't, you might want to have it slabbed too. Yeah, that's a real thing, man. We're over here. Um, we are, we have a, a lead on a golden age, small golden age collection find, all raw books. And yeah, it requires upwards of a hundred pictures to be DM'd. That's right. We're getting front page, back page, side of the book, upside down book, book person in it. You know, like there's all these different pictures. Then inside page one, page two, here's the centerfold. I don't know what you want to see. You want to see the staples? You want to see staples from another angle? You're just like scrolling, 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 scrolling. I mean, look at eBay. You know, you're looking at a raw book. You're hoping that the person did all 12 pictures. I think that's what the limit is still. It may be less now. Who knows? Or you got a graded book. And granted, you should have more than one picture on eBay for a graded book. As you know, from my, you know, frustrating experience getting a new Stan Wolverine uh, one uh, first patch, which by the way, I got me one right here. That is pristine. Thank you to the member who sold me that. However, you can get away with like two, three pictures for a graded book because, hey, how does it present? How's the case look? We good. You're not having to open it up and fumble it around. And if the book is super low grade, it does make it a bit more convenient. You know, if you're having to like, you know, put the cover over here and the back page over here and do it like, you know, granted that would be a, you know, potentially an incomplete book, but like, you know, separated, spine split, pages torn, pages missing, whatever the hell, you know, it's, if it's all just in that slab, it's packaged up regardless of the label, at least you got something to go off of. And this next comment I relate to so damn much. I hate oversized books, dude. I do not like magazine sized books. I bought a new short box. It's like a magazine, you know, like this, it's like a, what do they call them? It's plastic. It's like a hard case. You use them at conventions. Yeah. I mean, BCW plastic. I don't know. What the yeah. Name, it's, what it's, the a, it's a plastic box. It has a lock on it. You know, they're like 25 bucks. I recommend it. You can get your magazine slash CGC sized ones and it'll protect your, you know, your, your graded books. Here's the thing. This is what Rat King Comics had to say. I graded my first four turtle books, which by the way, the OG books are oversized, just like the last Ronin. I wonder if they did that on purpose. I graded my first four turtle books because they don't fit in my box. I can't tell you how many times that I've messed up a magazine size comic book because they don't fit in a box. I don't have a magazine box nearby or because I don't have as, no, as many magazines at the moment. So now they're doing this in the box. They're moving around. And then I do the little trick where you put, you, you flip maybe half of them on their side, but then they're kind of bending over. Dude, I've messed up some pristine, beautiful Conan and Steranko books that are oversized. And to this day, man, I think of what you told me. You should mention it again to any of the new members about the feeling it is to damage your own damn books. Oh, God. It's terrible, man. When you get an old book, like a Silver Age book, okay, and it has survived, you're like, oh, you're so excited. You're like, dude, I got this book, and it's gorgeous. And you surv- and it survived all these years until it met you, and you messed it up by rebagging it and, like, cutting an edge. Getting a tape. Getting a tape it. pull on it putting some dog ear on it that's just, I mean, just doing anything to ruin this book that's almost irreversible, that's just, that you can't reverse, it's a terrible feeling because you're the dumbass that did it. 
you know? And you feel that way. I feel that way when I'm so done real, it. dude. Oh. I, it makes me not want the books as much. I'm like, I look at the book and I love this book and it was my book and it was a near man copy. All I feel when I look at that tick that I caused because it was a magazine and I was getting lazy and I put it aside and then I put something near it and it just on the corner, that color break, that's all I see. And it's, it, it's painful. So I understand you got some early turtles books, oversized, get them graded. You're not going to have to worry about anything besides protecting the case and keeping it out of damn sunlight. Okay, here we go. We got uh, fat daddy. All right. We have a comment here that says some comic books need to be preserved even in bad shape. Sure. Very simple. Yeah. You know what? Some books are super low grade. And as mentioned, it's better to not have a, you, you ever get this problem where you like, you have a, a book, especially if it's like gold and you have it and it's like, it's tattered, it's falling apart. There's pieces that are like, you get to the point where you're like this little speck. I'm just going to like pull it off there. And it's like, it's a speck. It's a speck. It's, it's loose, loose paper, but it's like it's dangling and it's going to end up falling on, on its way to CGC anyways or something like, you know, you see a little tiny little speck. You pull it out of that bag and you see like crumbles on the bottom. You know what I'm talking about? You see like it's former, it's former self that's just somehow gathered on the bottom of that book because it's old and it's been in a bag for way too long. Mm-hmm. You got, yeah, you got the, uh, the, the flakes, the chipping, the, the shards, the shards. Yes. I mean, it's like remnants pieces of your book. That's you might as well, you're just going to throw in the trash. You're just literally going to. Dump them out, shake out your book as more stuff falls. You know? I actually saw um, oh. there was someone who was uh, repairing an action one. I think it was Hero Restoration, actually. Um, and they, they repaired an, an action one, but there were some pieces of the action one that were left. And they put it on eBay or like the owner of the pieces put it on eBay. It was literally a baggie that said action one shards on it. I think Metropolis had that. Was it Metropolis? Metropolis had that for auction. And I think, I think the person paid for the staple because there was a staple in there. Oh, there was a staple. Yeah. There was oh, a staple. And there was one the staple reason. and then like a bunch of just remnants pieces of it. Um, but they did sell. And I think they sold it twice now. I think I went back up again, but yes. Uh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. I remember seeing that. It was literally like a little drug baggie <laughs> of like flakes. What is this? This is the closest I'm ever going to get to an action one. Yeah. Well, you know, low grade is better than no grade. Well, actually, uh, speaking of staples, here's a segue. X Nerdy Things X said this. Well, as it pertains to grading, in the early days, I found out lots of rusty staples the hard way. Yes, rusty staples will get you. And when you grade, you need to be checking those staples. Dude, I have had some books that I'm like, this book is near mint. This book is flawless. Wait, why is the bottom staple rusty? Like paper is weird, man. Sometimes that paper, when it gets moist, it ripples and stains and it looks like you poured damn coffee on it. Other times, there's no stain and there's just ripples and you can press it and everything's great. Everything's grand, right? Sometimes the book looks high grade, but then like half the staple looks rusty. And it's like, how does the book look so damn good? How did that one staple get exposed to the elements enough? And you got to assume, oh, it got a little moisture. Like someone put a little moisture on that staple and then just sat there or something. But it happens. You got to check for rusty staples. You know, I'm surprised. I, I submitted some books with rusty staples and my grades were much higher than I expected. Mm. So, I mean, obviously it depends on the severity of how far it goes into the book. Does it eat away to the staple? Does it eat on the interior page? But 
I had some fairly good amount of rust on some staples, and I still got eight O's out of these books, man. Eight O, even eight five. I mean, they were. I was shocked that um, I expected, and I've always been under the impression staple rust is going to kill you. It's going to kill you. And then I started submitting some books, and it wasn't as bad. So I'm, I'm wondering, is that a like a wives' tale, or is that true? Like, have you submitted any books with rusty staples? Because I've had some success lately. I feel like I've gotten knocked on staples before, but mm-hmm. not as, I guess you're right, like not as severe as you would think it would be. But I've also, I've been deterred. I, it's only happened a couple times. So when it, when now I'm presented with a book with rusty staples, unless I'm dealing with like golden age, like even like that Margie over there, I had a little bit of rust on the staples. Like, still, it's a mid grade book, near mid grade, and it presents really well. Um, but very, very light rust on the staples and it didn't, doesn't look like it affected it much. All right. So, um, here's one from Heron Heavens, a member of our team over here who said that she likes to grade because she does it for the signature cert. And that's a great reason to get a book graded. I, I gotta say, I enjoy getting comics graded. I enjoy getting comics signed. All right. I don't always need the books signed and graded. Because you know what? If it's going to stay in the personal, I'm fine with that. I don't need that Steranko portrait there. Notice the one behind you, Starank, looking handsome, watching over us as we speak in this room. You know, We have over here Andy Seriano's uh, sketch cover. Both of those are signed to me. They're personal. I don't care. I'm keeping them. They're for the PC. I don't need them graded. But other times... Yeah, if you want to retain the value long term, maybe it's an investment, you want to gift it to someone one day, maybe your kids, it would be better to not have your name on there. And it would be better to get that signature certified. CGC will do it with a witness at a convention. CBCS will do an authentication. Both are great options. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes 100% sense. I mean, certified to validate the signature. You know, I mean, the whole thing with CGC and a witness thing does seem a little like... uh, Pressure-wise, like, hey, we're witnessing this for you, so you time to submit it now. It's like almost like, I don't know, man. I just wonder about that, how much pressure you have because you spend all this time to get it, like, graded. And then there's the pressure of, like, oh, wait, no one's going to know this is real unless I put this inside a capsulated device that CGC is here witnessing. So, uh, man, I don't know why I'm even talking about that or ranting about that, but it just hit me that it just seems like another way to kind of just pull money out of your pocket into some type of holder here for your book. But well, it's one of the two. Either they sense. have a staff of authenticators, which is a business, and I believe unless things have changed in, in, in recent years, I don't think it has, CBCS has a third-party company that they like in that they pay for. It's an added cost. You have to have someone who knows signatures Mm -hmm. and who are confident to write their name down to make sure that that cert is real or CGC can skip that process. They're already at a con. They staff a bunch of people at the convention and say, yo, go with this person, go over to Mignola's line and they'll like chill with you for a little bit and make sure it gets done. Also, you can get, you know, as a store, you can become a witness. So there's, there are ways to make it, make it a bit more flexible and not as much of a pain in the ass. Beyond what is already a difficult process, which is waiting in line for Rob Liefeld to then charge a ridiculous amount for signatures and then to charge you more to get it graded because that is something that's happening as well. We're seeing that more and more. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, if you thought about it, that you could have graded it because if the witness wasn't there, they wouldn't think it any different, right? It's because of the witnesses there, you're probably getting charged more. Right, because a witness has to be there. If so the you witness can't is there, that's, say, a, that's you, an indicator that you're going to get it graded. Right, so, right. So if they never had to deal with that, 
you would just be submitting it on your own on your own and they would have their own validator there somewhere you know recognizing a lot well through cbcs yes through cbcs but i'm just saying cdc doesn't do that or offer that but um yeah anyways that's neither here nor there i'm just kind of going on a rabbit hole well dude when you're chilling with your homies talking about comic books for two and a half hours that's what happens comic fam last comment js wretch 20 says here's a tip (laughs) very simple two words always press and you know what Unless you are certain that there's nothing wrong and you flip through the book and you made sure there's no fingerprints on the book and you're, maybe you're using gloves. I don't like to use gloves, but I also have a, and I literally, I have it here. I've had it in my hand a little bit. I have a ton of these eyeglass cleaner cloths. This is what you can use to get stuff off your comics, especially if you put a thumbprint on it. I have a bunch of them because of my glasses, my specs, but this helps you maintain your comic books when you're touching them. Pressing is always a plus. Now, is it worth paying C, you know, the CGC service or CBCS service to press. Well, you had to apply the other stuff we chatted about in this conversation. You're adding a cost, possibly more time added to the process of getting your book back. How long do you want to have your money tied up for? However, I've had a lot of, uh, a lot of good success with, uh, CCS, right? That's CGCs? CGC, CCS, yeah. Yeah. I also have seen people who are not as happy with it. Just the same way that, Probably it is for a lot of other people who are professional pressers. There's wins, there's losses, there's risks. Absolutely. When you're pressing or applying pressure of any kind on a book, um, there's always a risk. There's always a chance. Obviously, you should do an inspection of your book you know, before you go and press it. But again, always press, which could mean for you, if you don't know any pressers, then you have to use CCS. If you know other pressers, there's a lot of great options out there. Um, so, you know, I can't. I can't imagine a press isn't going to help like 95% of comics. I mean, modern books are generally pretty tight, but, you know, even those books come by the time they get to you after being on a, a rack in a store. Or Shipped coming, in a box that's like got zero protection, shout out diamond, you know, <laughs> um, you know, then they go on the, on the, on the rack and then you, you get them in hand and you're fumbling them around. Maybe you read it. You didn't realize, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Stray Dogs is an amazing book. I'm going to give it to my friends to read. And then all of a sudden you look at the numbers, seeing Stray Dogs 1 is hitting near $100. Well, damn it. I hope they kept that book safe. You get it back. Yeah, I mean, this is a true story, comic fan. Like, this is actually what happened to me. I'm like, damn, Stray Dogs spiked up. I should have just uh, not lent that out and waited for the trade paperback. Comic fam, I appreciate you guys. You know, it's always fun t- chatting with comic books, with the guru, with you. I want to hear your thoughts in the comment section below. What do you think about the Promise Collection? What do you think about grading comics? What do you think about the prices? What do you think about Jeff's purchases? What do you think about the books and the original art? Davey Go Covers coming out in August. Support what we do. Mystery mail call. Um, you can join by hitting comictown101.com or hit the link in the description. Where can they find you, Guru? Uh, you can find me at uh, Golden Age Guru on IG and here on Comic Time 101 during for videos, guys. That's right. We appreciate your time today, comic fam, as always. Geek responsibly. You just watched the Bags and Boards podcast. Enough said. <laughs>